Good to have you along here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day as we got a lot to get to here on the show. Uh, ben, we'll hear from Corey McCartney, author of Tales from the Atlanta Braves uh, Dugout. Braves uh, in the news a little bit. We'll tell you why coming up in just a little bit. Also, Eric Kane, 99-1, the sports animal in Knoxville. We're talking Georgia and Tennessee. And Mark Passwaters of AggieL.com going to join us in the final hour of the program. And uh, we will look at Texas A&M and Ole Miss this week. And Texas A&M... Still in it in the SEC West if Auburn beats Bama in the Iron Bowl and Texas A&M can win the remainder of their SEC games, Texas A&M would go to Atlanta to play Georgia. So all is not said and done just yet. They're in the SEC. So Mark Passwaters will join us coming up in the final hour of the program. But, uh, but Ben, obviously we're talking with Corey McCartney, author of uh, Tales of the Braves Dugout. Uh, coming up next segment. Uh, I want to ask him about what Scott Boris said uh, in so much saying that the Braves title, they were able to win due to teams tanking, which is a ludicrous take uh, as well. well. We'll look at what he had to say. He said baseball's most influential agent said the sport was the victim of a competitive cancer caused by teams unloading veterans to accumulate draft picks and that the Atlanta Braves World Series title was a direct result of tanking. Scott Boris said, quote, this is the Easter Bunny delivering rotten eggs. Every team says, I need to do this because it's my only option, knowing I can't reach a divisional crest. I can't get uh, in the playoffs. We have seen the championship in 60 days. The rules allow for them to be less than 500 team in August 1. Add four players, five players uh, from the teams that no longer want to compete for very little cost. Change the entirety of their team. And change the for very little cost and for very little cost, excuse me, change the entirety of their team and season. And we saw this unfold to the detriment of teams that created vast expense, planning, and intellect won over a hundred games. In doing this, we have now created an understanding that a fan would not know who the team is until frankly the trading deadline. End quote. Scott Boris, your business is baseball and you're a moron. I, I look, I, I'm just saying, everything he says literally happens in other sports, right? The NBA, hey, we're kind of a middling team. We're going to make a change. We're going to make a trade. Our team looks different. All of a sudden, we play better. What a shocker. And listen, I get it. The Dodgers won. The Dodgers also went out at the trade deadline and added a Cy Young winner, a Hall of Famer, and Trey Turner also. To, so let's not act like it was straight tanking. The Braves picked up several players, Ben, mm-hmm. whom nobody wanted. Right? The MVP of the World Series, Jorge Soler, was hitting 195 when the Braves got him. 195, making a lot of money. Did the Braves take advantage of that? Yes, they were able to do that. Jock Peterson was kind of a bench utility player with the Cubs. Braves went out and got him. Eddie Rosario, the MVP of the league championship series, was injured when the Braves got him. He could not play. When the Braves got him. So I, I take exception to the fact that they're like, oh, the Braves just went out there and made some cheap moves. And, uh, you know, expect, look, that's called being smart. That's called doing your homework and paying attention. What happened to the Braves happens to teams every year if they so choose. And the notion that teams are tanking for draft picks, Scott, <laughs> this isn't the NFL. This is not the NFL. Right. So I'm going to tank in 2021 so I can get a draft pick. I can pick up. That's why you hardly ever see baseball teams trade draft picks. It, it, it doesn't matter. I, I can pick 50 dudes in the draft 
and maybe three or four of them actually work out. So tanking for draft picks is an insane and stupid strategy. What I see is a guy who has played the game, Scott Boris, to the effect of every single one of your clients is getting huge deals, max deals, and all that. So now that teams are trying to go cheaper, it offends you. Why? Because your bottom line is affected as an agent. Teams are not going to, I think the bigger signal is, teams are not going to mortgage the future of their franchise to give somebody $400 million for 10 years. Not going to do it. It's smart not to. And that offends you as the primary agent who goes out and lands those deals. Duh. Don't play us like we're dumb, Scott. That's an asinine thing to say. That's all I got, Ben. I'm going to take a break. Scott, I, I'm going to take a break. Listen, here. Scott Boris, my last name might as well be Kardashian or West. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, uh, Kardashian, uh, the Kardashian was married to Kim Kardashian was married to, or still is, I think, to Kanye West. No, what bothers me about this is I don't like when people try to throw, you know, uh, try to throw asterisks on people's winning. I didn't hear Scott Boris saying this last year when the Dodgers won. I didn't hear him saying it when the Astros won. I didn't hear him saying it with the Royals won. I've only heard him say this because the Braves won. Because the Braves won it in an unconventional way. Braves won it. Everybody's dumping players. Look, it's a young man's league in football, basketball, baseball, soccer, you know, hockey. I want to. I want to get. The, I want to get as young as I can for as cheap as I can, and, and win as many games as I can. You talking about Jorge Soler, uh, Kevin? People look at what Jorge Soler did in the playoffs, not what he did in the regular season. But he jailed with a team that had really, really good culture. What I don't like is this: Scott Boris is trying to take advantage of clickbait society. Let me say something outlandish, outrageous, because it's going to get me a lot of clickbait. It's going to have everybody talking about me. No, everything goes through phases. I remember when rookie, when rookie first rounders made more, the first overall pick was making more than veterans. Now they got a rookie wage scale in the NFL because a rookie who was unproven should not make money than a player that is. But certain players in, in, in the majors are going are gonna to get big deals like Tatis and Bryce Harper and, and Pujols and, and, you know, but, but Mike Trout. But that's not the norm. Like people start saying, oh, man, you know, look, you know, uh, you know, look at what these guys got. No. Certain guys, the faces of baseball are going to – you're going to get paid not just for what they do on the field, but what they bring to the game. But to say that, man, guys are tanking. Let me tell you something. When the, when the Nationals won, I think at, I think at like 80 games in the season, they had the same record as, as Detroit. They had the same exact record. So to say you got to win a certain amount of games – no, 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 no. You win enough games to win your division to make it to the playoffs, and anything can happen. I don't like it when I don't like it when agents are are doing interviews. Like, why is an agent doing interviews? You know who you know who does interviews? People who are narcissists. People like Jerry <laughs> Jones and Drew Rosenhaus. People who say, "Hey, man, I want to be famous more more than I want to more than I want to be an agent. I want y'all to know I'm the face of agents when it come to baseball. But like Kevin said, I'm also a moron. I am because I'm saying not because I'm saying things that are clickbait and I, and I, and and to and to people who don't know sports, this happens every listen. Every team is trying to dump contracts. Every be like, hey man, the trade deadline. Oh, that's when the GM really goes to the books and say, how much are we paying for do what? And, and, and mind you. Nobody can live up to thirty and forty million dollars. Mike Trout got the biggest contract ever, and he's been to the playoffs once. But he's also the best player in baseball. So you better get your regular season on, because when the postseason comes, it's over. But yes, Kevin, I do agree. I don't like it when you know certain people say, "Hey, man, 
Ain't nobody talking about me. Well, you're an agent. You're a behind-the-scenes dude. Yeah. That's like saying, I mean, Steven Spielberg made great movies, but if you show me his picture, I wouldn't know how he looks. <laughs> I shouldn't know how he looks because he pays the people on screen because he's off because he's behind the screen, behind the camera. So, yeah, I, I just think, Kevin, this has more to do with the fact we're talking about a person who wants all the attention on them, and I don't like the fact he did it with the Braves. Let me tell you something. So, if, so the Brewers tanked and the Dodgers tanked and the Astros tanked, well, no, he's saying the other. T- uh, he's saying like other teams, around, but I, I think that's just ridiculous because there were teams, and I, I think even if you go back and think to the trade deadline, people are saying, "Wow, there's more teams actually looking to to get players and stay in this thing than than we normally see." Of teams who say, "Look, we're not that far off. Let's go do it." And again, the name of the game. There, there's two things at work, Scott Boris. Your job is to get as much money as you possibly can for your client. Not faulting you for that. But you want to look at baseball salaries fully guaranteed and why some of the salaries are right, you're directly responsible for that. And I give you a lot of kudos for that. But there are teams who are not who are also looking at it saying, so I gotta give a guy who's 32 a 10-year contract. So when he's at 40 and 41, I gotta pay him 25, 26, 27, 28 million, and he may be a shell of himself. That'll wreck the franchise. You can't so you have a an agent side and you have a business side. I think what the Braves did may be one of the most unbelievable things at the trade deadline where they went out, they were smart. They made moves that at the time we looked at and said, I mean, cause as much as Jorge Soler worked and Eddie Rosario worked and Jock Peterson worked, maybe they didn't. Maybe there was every possibility that one ninety hitting Jorge Soler comes to the Braves and hits two ten. And nobody, Kevin, this, this, this is another thing I don't like. Don't anybody can talk about the end result and say, Hey man, no, no, no. It worked out because people. Not, a lot of people didn't realize that the Braves might have the best culture, you know, in chemistry in baseball. That's why. That's why all the guys. When's the last time everybody you got to the trade deadline contributed in the postseason? That happened in twenty twenty. That usually doesn't happen. So Lair and those guys, and Jock Peterson and those guys, and freak. I mean, I'm just saying it's just like what what I don't and Rosario and those guys. Look, Braves. Please don't listen to this to this nonsense. <laughs> Maybe he don't like what Jack Peterson said. You know when they when they did they when they did they uh they, they you know uh obviously when they was in Truist, but I don't like it. Look if a if a sports if a sportscaster or if a journalist is making something and we're talking about college football playoff or the future of baseball, I get it. But you're, you're preaching like people say. You heard what he said? That's idiotic stuff. Yeah. He don't no. He don't like the fact that the, the days of ten year you know four hundred million dollar contracts. Could go out the window. There's a reason why only one guy in football has signed a 10-year, $500 million deal. God, who the hell want to be with a team 10 years? I don't want to be with a team. That, who, who said I want to be here after three years? So I get it, Kevin. It's affecting his bottom line. But the thing is, you make your money with the lower-tier guys and hope you get one of, the, one of the big names in baseball. But to say what he just said, come on, man. This, this yeah. When people ask what is wrong with baseball, stuff like this, making people like this famous for nonsense. Well, I just – I mean, I look at it and say, well, the Braves were a 500 team for most of the year. Hence – why they made moves at the trade deadline to change that, and they did. Uh, you know, I, I I look at a team, if I won 106 games, I'm probably not making too many changes with my team because I'm playing very well. I'm getting there. The Braves were a middling team who said, we have a decision to make. We can try to make some moves and go for it, or we can sit here and continue to wallow in our 500 or less than 500 mediocrity and look ahead to next year. They were able to go out and make some moves, yes, for the cheap, because I think the Braves were in a position, Ben, where they're like, look, we are not great, 
but can we get better yes. with some modest trades yes. versus just the impulse of we're not going to be better unless we take on a $20 million guy. he say that when they said about the Yankees or the Boston? Yeah. So, so, when it comes, so when it comes to the Dodgers, the Yankees, you know what I'm saying, Boston, uh, you know, why you say this about the Nationals? No, no. Why you say this about the Phillies? Because what I don't get is the Braves did it kind of, Kevin, they kind of like the 2021 version of, of Moneyball. It worked. We got – and – no, 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 no. It worked because of the because of the core guys. Freddie Freeman is the best player, you know, in in baseball. You know, as far as like first baseman, you got Ronald Acuna Jr. who wasn't even on the squad. I mean, I'm just saying, it's just what I, Christian Pache outside of changing the numbers, you didn't even see <laughs> yeah. him. So you had a total different outfield. You had the guys Ian Anderson and Max Fried, not named Mike Soroka, getting it done. And all of a sudden, because they won, hey man, people are tanking. Let me tell you something. Tanking happens in football. <laughs> Definitely happens in basketball. Yeah. But nope. it is hard to do in baseball. Nobody's going to tank in baseball no. because, again, a draft pick, you're you're tanking for something that you may get three or four or five years down the road, not, hey, I just drafted the top quarterback out of college. He's my starter in three months. You're not getting that in baseball. We'll come back. we got more to get to. We'll talk to Corey McCartney, uh, author of Tales from the Braves Dugout. Good to have you here on 3 and Out. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop here with you. Braves World Series champs, as we've uh, talked about. Scott Boris sounding off on, well, the Braves win because, you know, other teams were out there tanking and they were a different team after the trade deadline. You know, all things that we already know and make perfect common sense to most people. Uh, but here to talk about that and more, Corey uh, McCartney, author of Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout, joins us here on 3 and Out. Corey, welcome. How are you? Corey, can you hear us? If you're looking for Mark, I'm here. We are looking for uh, for Corey. We've got we have we have hold, put put him on hold real quick here. We have got the uh, apparently he got the wrong guy on the uh, on the show. We're looking for Corey McCartney. Tales from the uh, the Braves <laughs> dugout, and uh, we'll we'll try to keep efforting Corey here momentarily. But Ben, obviously the Braves with the uh, with the uh, the World Series uh, coming up. Scott Boris talking about all kinds of stuff there with. Uh, you know, hey, tanking and this and that. Uh, look, I'm interested to hear Corey's kind of thoughts on that in regards to why why not, why not, make a big stink of that now. I know people are like, oh, the team that won 88 games in the regular season won. Well, I mean, they, they did it on the field. Yep. And they improved themselves. And as everybody said, they were a much different team after the trade deadline because they went out and made themselves that way. That, that they did, and at the end of the day, Kevin, man, I'm not going to ever make excuses for a team that went out there and handled it, handled their business. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not one of those type of guys that, you know, want to try to be able to make it. They went out there and won. 88 games is enough to win your division, get you in the playoffs and handle your business once you get there. They, they did, and, they, and it's not like they had an easy road. The Brewers was no easy road. I mean, the Dodgers, my God. I mean, you're talking about having to, having to get over that hump because that's something that's not being talked about enough when you when, – and I'm not comparing the two, but people talking about Michael Jordan. You know what Michael Jordan had to overcome to become Michael Jordan? The Detroit Pistons. And once he got over them, that's when he became who he had to become. The Braves knew, hey, dude, for us to do anything, we got to beat the Dodgers. Are the Braves a better team than the Dodgers? Record season? No. For four games, for best out of, you know, uh, I mean, uh, in, the, in the seven-game series, they were. And, and Kevin, I'm, I'm always going to be beating the drum for, for teams because I know how hard it is. There are te- like I said, most players will never even sniff the playoffs, let alone a World Series. And you mean to tell me when they finally do it's because of what didn't happen around them? No, it's what they made happen when they was on the field with the Brewers, with the Dodgers, with the Astros. And anybody that say something different, you know, one, you either mad because you ain't got a client with the Braves. Yeah, should have had Freddie Freeman. 
because I, I would love to be representing Freddie Freeman right now. I, for, give give him a check and let him let him write in the number. But no, Kevin, you can speak to this better than me. But how hard it is to just make the playoffs consistently. The Braves have done it and won the division four years in a row, and they capped it off with a World Series championship without Ronald Acuna Jr., without Mike Soroka, without Marcelo yeah. Zuna. So for me, man, they, they've overcome too many obstacles for somebody to be trying to throw asterisks. Yeah, on I it. think you make it sound like some sort of fluke that that it happened that way. When again, they did what we want to see in sports, which is. Continue to improve, overcome uh, what comes in your way and uh, what stands in your way in terms of injuries and things like that, and still go out and compete to uh, to win the entire thing. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of that. Uh, I think when I re- read into those comments of, look, I-, I don't understand why you're making a run at the Braves about that. That's, you know, that's literally what you're supposed to do at the trade deadline is see something you don't like with your team, Fix it and change it and make yourself better in that run. Let's, I believe we have uh, Corey McCartney here on the program. Uh, Corey, welcome. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Good. And uh, Corey, author of Tales from the Atlanta Braves dugout. I want to ask you before we get into this Braves uh, team about the comments from Scott Boris saying, you know, hey, the Braves won due to tanking and the, the idea that in all of, of all sports, baseball's tanking for draft kicks is kind of asinine. But uh, what did you kind of make of those comments from Scott Boris? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly, you know, at first blush, you find them kind of ridiculous. I heard he said that, you know, only 17 teams were were trying to win this last season, and there were 17 teams above 500. So, you know, I, I think it's just easier for him, you know, as somebody who's obviously trying to leverage more teams to be in on the bidding for his clients to make it seem as though teams aren't trying to try to push for some changes. So more teams are trying to spend more money, I think, at the end of the day. That's what he's trying to do, you know, is, is get more money for his clients and how do you how do you get more teams into the bidding for those in particular players. So, uh, you know, it's just it's just funny, obviously, as a guy who is the agent for Trey Turner and Scott and Max Scherzer, uh, you know, who obviously were dealt to the Dodgers at the deadline. It seems to fall very much in line, more so than what the Braves did, getting guys that really, you know, were underperforming in, in Solaire and Rosario, Peterson, and obviously Duvall was having a nice year, but... Uh, you know, I just I just think it's convenient. I mean, you know, if you've ever been around the circus that is him in one of the winter meetings, I mean, it's it's always just a lot of you know blowhard kind of stuff, and you kind of expect some some craziness to come out of his mouth. And he just decided to to do that yesterday on MLB Network, talking about the Braves championship. And Corey, I mean, when you think about this Braves team this year, they. Let's face it, they did it in an unconventional way. You talk about Peterson, you talk about Rosario, you talk about Solaire, you know, you talk about, you know, guys that got at the trade deadline that really came alive in this postseason. But how much of that had to do with those guys coming to a team that had about as good as the chemistry and camaraderie as you're going to see in sports? Well, I think those guys were a big reason for that camaraderie. I mean, you heard, you know, Jock Peterson talk about how, you know, when they went there, there was kind of like, a, a de- you know, I say dead feeling, but there was, you know, a, a, a down vibe to the clubhouse and Stephen Vogt, you know, who is not somebody who a lot of fans are going to remember as part of this championship, but, um, you know, the catcher decided that he has a character that he does called the referee and wanted to know if he could do it, so he asked uh, Snicker and Anthopoulos, and they told him he could, and, you know, he went in there and, and did this, and I, you know, funny character that he does and kind of just helped to set the tone along with Peterson and his turtles and all that, so, you know, I don't, I, don't, I think you can easily say that, you know, this team doesn't get the World Series, you know, without those guys coming in and, and helping to set that tone, because I think they just were all in a, you know, in, in a tough, just in a tough mindset after losing Acuna and wondering how they were going to move forward after that. But um, you know, certainly in a, as unlikely as a champion as you can get. I mean, at the deadline, they had a two percent chance of making the, of winning the World Series per Fangraphs, and now here we are talking about them as world champs. 
Uh, certainly. And again, you go into the offseason, and I know the first thing on all the fans' minds uh, here, Corey, is, well, what about Freddie Freeman? I mean, really, from everything we've heard, and we've heard both sides say publicly, it's just about coming to that number. Both both parties want to be in business with each other. It's just about coming to that number. Uh, how much of, or how quickly do you think this potentially gets done? And how much of this might just also be the front office looking and saying, okay, here's what we can do, but also, hey, we got a new CBA coming. How does the rest of our roster need to get constructed if, say, the DH sticks around permanently? Yeah, I mean, I think you can say that, that the CBA is part of it. I just don't know that it's much, that much of a hang-up with him because, you know, he's, he's obviously aging really well. I talked about this uh, article on Talking Chop today that, you know, there, there are options, you know, if it's, obviously it doesn't work out with him, but I think, you know, he's told, told us for years that that's, this is what he wants and this is where he wants to be. But, you know, I think, you know, you look at the track record for Anthopolis and his deals have primarily gotten done in November. Yeah, he signed Josh Donaldson in November. He signed Brian McCann. Travis Darno, Charlie Morton, Drew Smiley, those have all been November deals. So I would anticipate this thing getting done uh, ahead of that CBA expiration on December 1st. I just, you know, I, I know obviously when the outfield standpoint, you know, you can say with Solaire, yeah, that's very much tied into whether there's a DH in the National League. I just don't think it impacts Freddie that much. Um, you know, you can obviously, you know, because I think he's got a market value per spot track of about 27 per year. So you can look at a six year deal. You know, maybe you get a seven-year option uh, going to his, into his 37, 38-year uh, age season. I think that kind of that kind of gets it done. I, I'm sure there's going to be other teams that are going to want to throw bigger numbers at him, but I think we know where his heart lies, and I would just be stunned to have it be him seeing him anywhere else in Atlanta. And Corey, how I mean, how uh, how creative is Arizona Thought is going to have to get? I mean, obviously, you talk about a guy in Freddie Freeman who has more than uh, you know earned his uh, you know earned his new contract coming off an of MVP season, obviously adding World Series to it. But you always got to think about the future and the present, and why you want to give him his money. Like as Kevin mentioned, you don't want to salvage your future with a lot of because I mean nobody has a better farm system than the Braves. So when you when this thing is all said and done, what type of number you think Arizona Thought is going to throw out there? Yeah, I think it's going to be six years, about 27 to 28 per. I think you do an option year for a seventh year. The one thing you got to remember is that Ronald Cunha Jr. and Ozzie Albies are on sweetheart deals. They're going to be they're around for the next eight uh, eight to nine years between the two of them. Um, this that's going to be past whatever contract comes up with Freddie Freeman. So this is not going to impact. I, they're in a position to pay him and not mortgage anything for the future. So I think they're going to be a really good spot. Obviously, you've got guys like. You know, Dansby Swanson's in his last year of arbitration. You've got, you know, Austin Riley do a raise via arbitration. But they're not going to be in any way, shape, or form hurting where they can't still, you know, get Freddie towards that close to 30 mil per year and still be, you know, able to put a competitive team around him. Corey McCartney joining us here on 3 and Out. And uh, you you go to the other moves uh, that need to be looked after. And obviously the outfield, you have Ron Acuna coming back off of injury. But, how does that outfield uh, construction look? Obviously, Acuna can play center field, but I don't think the Braves obviously want him to uh, every day. Who are the guys they're looking at trying to bring back? As obviously the math and just in terms of bodies doesn't necessarily work from all the guys they had there at the end of the year. Sure. Well, you know, Adam Duvall and Jock Peterson both had mutual options that they both declined. The thing with Duvall, though, is he's still under club control for a year. So. They could work something out where it's a multi-year deal for him, or he could go into arbitration, uh, you know, and still be a part of this team. Uh, I would anticipate seeing him back, and he obviously played center field every every game during the postseason. So I think he's, you know, he's obviously a Gold Glove winner now. You could put you could put him in center. Um, you know, I think the DH allows you to have Soler come back and not have 
to him have to have him in the outfield consistently. I think that could open the door for Rosario coming back. To me, Peterson's the one that's likely going elsewhere. I just don't think he's got an everyday role with this team. So do they look elsewhere from a center field standpoint? I mean, you know, you could go the free agent route with a guy like Starling Marte, who you know blew up with the A's last year and ended up leading the majors in stolen bases. Uh, you know, certainly you could go the trade route with a guy like Byron Buxton. You know, he's got injury history, but I think he's gettable uh, through Minnesota. So I think there's a lot of options, but certainly you, you, you've obviously got a Cunha contract. You've got a club control year with Duvall. You've got some other guys, but you've got that thing hanging over there with uh, with Marcelo Zuna, and you're going to have to pay him uh, one way or the other, whether he's going to be a part of this uh, organization going forward or not. Uh, you know, that's obviously looming. A suspension's looming, so. There's a lot of question marks in terms of how that outfield is going to shape up. And, Corey, I mean, uh, with a lot of guys going to arbitration, you mentioned the situation with Marcelo Zuna, if they can get that ironed out, or hopefully a healthy Mike Soroka in 2022 with, with obviously, uh, you know, Ronald Cooney Jr. coming back. How dangerous can this Braves team be with a lot of guys that were key contributors that weren't even on the field this year that's getting, that still get to say they're World Series champs? Yeah, I mean, that's the crazy thing, right? I mean, I think – you know, you look at it and say, you know, they, they caught lightning in a bottle with everything with those outfielders, and, and arguably their best player wasn't even, you know, he's a cheerleader. He's resigned to be standing in the dugout jumping up and down. So, um, you know, I don't know when we're going to see Mike Soroka again. I think the hope is that he can come back and be a viable Major League player again, but there's no timetable on him, right? I mean, I think you think about the timing of, of his re-rupturing that Achilles. We may not see him if we do until, you know, after the trade deadline. So I'm not really sure about him, but certainly – you know, having a healthy Acuna back, and he's going to be a man on a mission trying to follow up uh, last year, and he obviously was in, an MVP candidate looking like that you know, when he was playing. So, um, you know, this team is just going to be so dangerous. And you think about, you know, the way that those young guys grew in that outfield and uh, the infield, excuse me. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a really good team again. And certainly they have to, you know, there's going to be a hole, I think, to fix, uh, you know, in that pitching department. I think they're still going to be in the market for a veteran uh, arm out there to supplement those uh, what they have in that rotation, but they, they've got some work to do. But certainly, when you have work to do as the the reigning champion, it feels a little bit better than having a lot of holes to fill with somebody who missed out on the postseason. Uh, it certainly does. And uh, Corey, I was going to kind of follow that up. You are a team that obviously had a lot of experience uh, this year, going into the playoffs, winning a a World Series. Would this be? I know they said they were going to add payroll, but would this be a good team to add one of those? high-flight rookies, too, that are in your farm system and put them with a team that's got so much veteran experience, a Drew Waters, a Pache, a Michael Harris, or maybe even uh, see one of those potential catchers of the future get a chance to play big league every day because obviously Darno's not going to be the everyday guy for, for down the road. I Honestly, I think, I, think we're, I think we're more apt to see one of the, the catchers get a chance. And I, I know everyone's falling in love with Shea Langoliers. Um, when you go off pop time, his average pop time is you know, really close to J.T. Romuto, who's kind of the gold standard for that uh, right now uh, in the majors. And you think about the way that, that people ran on Darno during the postseason. He threw out five guys after the entirety of the year. He threw out five of the 31 guys who tried to steal on him. He threw out nobody during the postseason. So uh, Langoliers is a cannon. So I think you need to uh, think about a defensive upgrade that you could use as a secondary catcher. I think that battle in, training, in spring training between uh, William Contreras Shang Langoliers for that second catching spot is going to be a big one to watch this spring. Corey McCartney, our guest here on 3 and Out. Corey, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Corey McCartney joining us here, author of the book Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout, joining us here on 3 and Out. We've got more to come. I feel like we, for this next segment, I have to go to Ben to bring back the uh, the sound every time we talk about this next guy. 
Go, go ahead, Ben. Cam. <laughs> oh, Cam. No. He, listen. Hey, hey. If you listen, if you've been living under a rock, if you, I don't, if you've been listen, if you've been listening to people like I don't know Scott Boris, get, no, stop <laughs> listening to him. There are times, Kevin, that people just get to do the right thing, and I'm talking about in pro sports, right? It's it's when you know the Green Bay Packers they make up with Brett Favre, right? Uh, you know, it's when it's when LeBron James, you know, to come back to Cleveland, you know, and and and, and he's still not uh, cool with the owner of the Cavs. By the way, he did it for the city of Cleveland, not the Cleveland Cavs. Um, but you know, I looked at it this morning, Kevin. I looked, I said, "Oh man, Cam Newton is potentially uh, going to resign with Carolina." And now that I see breaking news, you know, the did, you know, uh, and and the thing is, Cam Newton, Kevin. Let's say it. There are certain players that there's only they're, they're the only reason why. You watch a team. You have no reason. When's the last time you watched a Carolina Panthers game? But don't say when they was playing the Falcons. You don't. When they were playing the Falcons. Because <laughs> Cam Newton yeah. Cam Newton is the greatest player uh, in, in uh, Carolina Panthers history. They are taking out the way from Steve Smith, uh, you know, uh, Senior and Jake DeLone and, and those guys. He re-signed with the Carolina Panthers today, and obviously, uh, depending, depending on the physical, he's probably going to try to either play on Sunday, definitely going to be on the roster. But kept his house in Charlotte. Kevin, you just like me, a lot of people were confused why he ever got cut because people get hurt. Cam Newton, <coughs> regular season MVP, NFC champion, uh, went to the Super Bowl, and I think right now he has like, I don't know, 70 rushing touchdowns. Cam got, Cam got a chance to have 100 rushing touchdowns if his career does, does, get, get, uh, does uh, go after this year, Kevin. But Kevin, you got the news. Cam is back. Uh, and that's Cam with a C. We got the Cam with a K, if you didn't know. <laughs> but, yes, uh, Cam is back. How do you feel about it, Kevin? And like I said, there are certain – I said this on Twitter. There are certain times you can do the right thing. <clears throat> there are certain times you can make the right move, and there are certain times you get to do both. I think Carolina did both. And, again, you're coming down the, uh, the back half of the season. How much better does that make Carolina right now? And, again, this was one where they were already together once, right? And he, and he, had, to, he had left. Went to New England. Now we have the reunion. Does the second time around always go swimmingly? Are you expecting it to go swimmingly here for Cam and Carolina? I don't. I don't know, Kevin. I mean, I'm because I'm, different, different. Listen, different, different team, different coaching staff. Matt Rule obviously is a guy that understands it. Matter of fact, different team, different owner, uh, different head coach. But I think about what Cam brings to the table. Cam still got an it factor. Now, are you running the, the complete same offense? No. But I think if you can get – I mean, I don't know the health of Christian McCaffrey. I don't know how well that defense has been playing. But Cam, listen, he's still 6'5", 245, 250 pounds. You still got to make a – now, is he running away from dudes? No. I think Father Time and Cam been riding with each other the last two years. <laughs> the Father Time said, look, man, you ain't Tom Brady now. I'm coming for you. But Cam keeps himself in shape. Cam kept his house in Charlotte. Cam needs to be that – listen, that one on his chest and that Newton on his back – well, you know what I'm saying? With them, with, them, uh, with them Carolina colors, it just goes together. I'm just going to be happy to see him back out there, Kevin, because you know, just like I know, Kevin, when you, if you're the Braves and you run out there with Ronald Lacuna, you're afraid of free. That makes you think, dude, we got these players on our team. So that gives us around him, those two guys confidence. If you can't gain confidence with a guy that's built like a freaking linebacker or a defensive end that plays a quarterback position, that's, that's got to be ecstatic to be back home. Nothing else will. So I'm looking forward to seeing him back on the field. I just hope that he doesn't have to do, try to overcompensate Kevin for not being there because, you know, haven't been there a while. Let me prove, no, go out there and play within the confines of the game. And Cam, I think you're 31-32 now. Get down. 
You don't got to prove anything. We want you to walk off, walk off the field the same way you walked on. But I am happy for old killer Cam Newton. And you're back with uh, Cam, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady. Come on. Uh, and I guess Jameis. Who used to be Drew Brees. But, but Jameis, when, he, when, he, when he's healthy. Tra- what, what, tra- Trevor Simeon. You got you to you beat Trevor Simeon. <laughs> I mean, Taysom, Taysom Hill. I mean, that's easier said than done. I'll say, if you're a Falcons fan, are you worried about Cam being back in Carolina? Uh, you just should. I mean, I guess you couldn't beat him well, when, well, he, when well, he wasn't I, there. But <laughs> Well, listen, you should, this is why you should. <sighs> yes, you're good enough to score points on offense, Kevin, but who do you be stopping on defense? Like, I mean, Deion Jones, who are you? I mean, A.J. Terrell is balling, but Cam Newton is going to be playing, you know, not, not – I don't want to hear this – Cam against the world. Get out of here with that nonsense. Ain't no revenge. But Cam going to play some good football. I think he got a younger team around him. But with Atlanta, though, I've never worried about the offense. I mean, Cordell, make sure you drink, you know, plenty of Gatorade, you know, get you a, you know, I mean, get you a cortisone shot or whatever because number 84 for Atlanta does everything for that offense, both rushing, receiving, and if they put, they don't even put them on special teams because, you know, they're exerting more energy. But, yeah, Kevin, you should be, you should be, uh, Nervous if you are that uh, Atlanta Falcons defense because outside of Grady Jarrett, it ain't much. To t- and A.J. Terrell, don't even throw this side, ain't much to talk about. So, yes, Cam, I mean, I'm always conflicted with Cam. And Cam said, he said, I root for the Falcons when I'm not playing against them. But when I'm playing against them, I'm trying to give them that business. I, th- I, th- I, don't, I don't think he's going to be running away from nobody, uh, Kevin. But, uh, hey, man, Superman is back in the building. There you go. And he'll be back on the sidelines sooner rather than later. We got more to come here on 3 and Out. Take three coming up uh, next hour. We'll get the very latest with Georgia and Tennessee. We'll hear from Eric Kane in the final hour, 991, the sports animal in Knoxville, talking Georgia and Tennessee. Mark Passwaters of Aggie Yale will join us coming up in the final hour of the program. You got Texas A&M and Ole Miss this week. Why is that important? If Texas A&M can win out and keep track of that Iron Bowl and Auburn beats Alabama in the Iron Bowl, Texas A&M will play Georgia in Atlanta, not Alabama. They are still very much in it there with Texas A&M. Mark Passwaters will join us coming up in the final hour of the program. This is 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here on 3 and Out. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us. We get to take three coming up next hour. Also, Georgia getting ready for Tennessee this weekend. Some breaking news there out of Athens regarding a couple of their players, including a potential season-ending injury with one of their players. We'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. Eric Kane in the final hour, as well as Mark Passwaters will join us uh, here on the program. But Ben, today, Veterans Day. want to, uh, again, say thank you to all the veterans and the men and women who have served uh, in our uh, armed forces. I think everybody uh, that's on this show has had somebody they know or love that has been a part of uh, the armed forces. My dad was in the Air Force. Your brother, a Marine. Uh, BJ's dad, of course, has been in multiple branches of the uh, the military, and we appreciate all those men and women and uh, and what they do uh, for our what they have done. A veteran, I guess, what they have done for our country, and uh, what the uh, men and women that are currently in there continue to do. Yeah, Kevin, I think you said the best. I mean, had a chance to have uh, lunch today with uh, Papa B. Um, you know, what thirty one years in the army, thirty what uh, four years in the Air Force. My brother, as you mentioned, a Marine. My father. I uh, spent four years in the army. Uh, you know, I, you know, my cousin. I was in the Marines. J, you know, JT. You know, in in, uh, in the Army National Guard. It just you just you you can't say thank you enough to certain people, Kevin. You know, even you know even to your father because I mean, let's face it. I mean, we all ain't built for it. I, I, let, let's not act like we all would do it. 
And, I, and we, there are certain people when you are around them, the reason why you get choked up because of what I mean. How do I say thank you enough? So to to every to every man and woman that was in the, you know in the armed forces, we we say thank you today. We don't we don't have enough Veterans Days. We should we should have a whole month of it. I, I think one day doesn't do it justice. But look, if you see a you know a veteran today, you know listen. Tell them thank you for their service. Tell them they are the greatest among us. Tell them because of their sacrifices, we get to live the lives we live on a day-in, day day-out basis. But somebody says something today. They gave up the, great, the best years of their lives for ours, for our entire life. So for that, we say thank you, and uh, we can't say uh, we appreciate you guys more enough. Yeah, absolutely. And, again, a uh, day, one, one that should be every day, quite frankly, but here on Veterans Day, a chance for all of us to, uh, to say thank you and appreciate what uh, – what you guys have done and, uh, and what veterans in the future uh, will, will do for this country. And again, uh, again, just a day to say thank you for that. We'll uh, talk to some folks coming up uh, later in the show about that, uh, Ben. So we look forward to, uh, to that coming up and we'll get to, uh, to take three and we're going to have to change take three, Ben. We were talking about that. We, one of the questions we were going to talk about was where should Odell Beckham go? Well, apparently that's just happened. Uh, he's finalizing a deal with the Rams. So, uh, how does that change some things? We'll get to that. But, uh, again, we're seeing some moves uh, here in the National Football League that are doing what, I guess, Scott Forrest is afraid of, reshaping <laughs> your team. The Rams don't look the way they did at the beginning uh-huh. of the season. It's a big problem. But, uh, no, Odell Beckham going to the Rams. No, it should be. Listen, oof, OBJ, people, people he, kept, he, kept, he, kept the, uh, he kept the league on the edge, the clear waivers. And, uh, Kevin? You know, the, you know, there's only one thing you can get, you know, uh, better than, uh, you know, uh, a veteran for, uh, you know, a lot of money, a veteran for veteran minimum. And you're going to get, and, and think about OBJ, I think if he would have, if, if a team would have picked him up, they would have owed, uh, the, the uh, Browns would have owed him 7.25 million. And since he cleared waivers, obviously they can get him, uh, they can give him a veteran minimum. But OBJ makes anybody better except the Browns. I don't know what went on with him and Baker Mayfield. I don't get it. You give a guy that was that electric, that was that explosive, that was that productive, and you put him on the Browns team, that if you hand the ball off to, to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and you just go over the top with him. But one thing Matthew Stafford's going to do, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, OBJ, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, what the hell going on? It's about, to be, it's, it's about to get rough. But, yeah, man, I'm happy that OBJ and, and now Kevin, New York to Cleveland, to L.A., that boy just hit the jackpot. That boy, I mean, out there amongst the other stars, LeBron, OBJ, what up? What's what's going on out yeah. there? Yeah, I mean, there's, a re- I mean, there's a reason. Again, front offices are not dumb, Ben. There's a reason he cleared Raiders. Wait, so if I just wait, <laughs> I don't have to pay no, no, no. him seven million dollars. Oh yeah, the GM's like, I got OBJ on the phone. Hang up. What? Hang up. Not yet. A few more keys <laughs> have to pass. Hey OBJ, man. Sorry, <laughs> man. We lost signal. Like, it's crazy. I, no, but but but. But, Kevin, no. I mean, OBJ is still productive. Like, once again, I use the David Justice money ball scenario. Hey, man, for $4 million, man, I think I, I think I am like, no, 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 no. The Yankees are paying your other half. I'm not paying you for the, for the player you were. I'm paying you for the player you can have left. Like, I'm paying you for the – OBJ is playing for his, for his uh, present and his future because he don't got no multi-year deal. I don't think he's going to get no more 90-something million-dollar contracts. The man just had a 29th birthday. He get to go to L.A. Listen, listen. What? Oh, my God. I forgot. Von Miller. He's in freaking. <laughs> so, all I'm saying is, L.A., hey, man, they, they going for it this year. Hey, good good for them. I mean, again, that's the whole dynamic of why you do some of these things, so you can improve your team. And, again, I know a lot of folks waiting to see how that would uh, how that one was going to play out uh, at the end of the day. So, that's changing dynamics. You have Odell Beckham going to the West Coast. Cam Newton back in Carolina. So, a couple of pretty big 
uh, roster moves happening today around the National Football League, Ben. You got Cam back in Charlotte. You got OBJ in L.A. You got our Cam with a K who seems to love all <laughs> things L.A. But, hey, man, OBJ, congratulations. Cam New, congratulations. And hopefully those boys can go out there and show the world what we've been missing as far as, like, their unique talent. I, 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 can, I, can, I, can I talk about Cam real quick? I got 10 seconds. Uh-huh. Cam comes running – just outside the studio, the break, go, oh, OBJ to the Rams. It's amazing. And then he goes, I'm not really an OBJ fan. I'm like, what in the world is, what in the world is going on? OBJ. I was like, come on, Cam. We'll come back. We'll take three next here on three and out. Look at Georgia. Some breaking news around their football team coming up uh, here this hour as they get ready for Tennessee. Also, if you missed it yesterday, we heard from Clay Helton. We'll hear from him here on the show, George Southern head football coach, and we'll hear from him in just a little bit. But, Ben, let's take three, shall we, here on three and out. All right, take one. We were going to ask who Odell should pick. Well, he picked the Rams, which ironically was not one of the choices we were going to give you in take three. So now that Odell has gone to the Rams – how much has their playoff or their Super Bowl stock soared? Oh, it doesn't soar. I mean, uh, Sean McVay is an incredible play caller. Uh, I give Sean McVay a lot of credit for changing up the way and with the style of offense he's playing with a guy like Matthew Stafford. But Cooper Cup, I think, right now is leading the NFL in catches and yards. Robert Woods is definitely a great complimentary number two. Sonny Michelle is out there. And I think when you bring in a guy like Robert Woods, is an incredible you know, uh, you know, player. But I think when you bring in a guy like Odell Beckham, I think when you bring to the table, Kevin, is a guy that can definitely, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, beat you over the top. A guy that's definitely good, uh, a, a very, very good intermediate route runner. But I think he's just getting the ball in his hands. Odell Beckham Jr. has understood that, look, man, my play on the field just speak for me. Now, what I do on Twitter, even, even if that's Odell Beckham Sr. Uh, putting out stuff, look, man, I don't, I'm, not here to, I'm not here to make waves. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm here to make plays. So, and, and so I think when you think about Odell, I think it's a great move, and I like the way he did it. Odell just played the system. Giving us all these options, like, hey, man, I'm going to LA. What? Because like I just said, I mean, the best player in football, Aaron Donald, the best quarterback in football, Jalen Ramsey, one of the premier pass rushers, even if he passes prime, Ron Miller. You talk about that offense. So I think for me, it's going to be, it's going to be OBJ. He plays, and so yes, Kevin, that was the best possible move for him because he went from a team that's that's good, not great, into a team that got a chance to be great with him. Great, great, uh, you know, great, great job by the uh, LA Rams front office, and uh, hey, man, great move by OBJ. Yeah, I, I think a, a good move for him. Again, you knew he was going to go to a contender. I think if you go to some of these teams, like if you go to the Saints, obviously you're hoping that Cam Newton comes back. You're still in the division with Tom Brady, and now. Cam Newton, uh, that would be be tough. I don't know if the are the Patriots a contender. I think we knew he wanted to go to a contender. The Rams certainly are that with all the playmakers they've amassed in the last handful of weeks. Moving along, take two. Who's more likely to win this weekend? The Falcons over the Cowboys or the Jaguars over the Colts? Woo, woo, woo. Now, man. I do. I did say I want my Falcons to do their best. Uh, Teddy, you know, Teddy uh, Bridgewater, Teddy Two Gloves, impersonation. Go out there and beat them. Beat the Dallas Cowboys because you're beating them more for. You're doing more than just beating the Cowboys. You're doing it for America. You want to beat America's team, but but Kevin, for me, I, I'm. I love what I saw from the Jags last week. I think they grew up a lot last week. I think when you can stop an offense like um like Josh Allen, you know, like uh like like Diggs and those guys. It says a lot. Plus, Carson Wentz plays for the Colts, people, if you haven't, haven't known. Carson Wentz is known for doing things like this. 
You know, you're on your four-yard line coming out. You try to run a tight end screen. You're right-handed. They snuff it out. You, instead of throwing the ball in the ground, you put the ball in your left hand. You throw it anyway. It gets, it gets batted in the air for a touchdown. That is Carson Wentz. Then Carson Wentz goes to overtime. They find a way to go down and make it, make it you know, go to overtime. Carson Wentz stares down his receiver, and he throws it a pick, and they go down and kick the field goal because Carson Wentz can't get over being Carson Wentz. So for me, while I, while I, while I want them A-Town down Falcons to do it to them Dallas Cowboys because I love the Dallas Cowboy fans' misery, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say them Jaguars because I think they grew up a lot last week. Josh Allen had the game of his life against Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. So giving them Jags with a big win against them Colts. I'm gonna, you're going to love this analysis, Ben. I'm going to say it's the Falcons over the Cowboys simply because it might actually be in the NFL bylaws. The Jags cannot win two games in a row. So I'm going to go Falcons over, over the, the Cowboys <laughs> just for that reason. They can't win two games in a row. No, I, I think the Jags do have a chance. I, and I, I've talked about that when they got Trevor and all that. I said, look, you're not exactly in a division that scares anybody. I mean, the – the Texans are not very good. You don't know what's going to happen uh, with Deshaun Watson there. The Colts, really, after now that Phillip Rivers retired, they're an okay team. They're, I don't think anything special. And then you got, obviously, the Tennessee Titans, which you take Derrick Henry off that team – are you scared of the Tennessee Titans? I mean, the, the, I mean, they're the, a good team. I'm not they, trying to they, disrespect them, but the, the, the Tennessee Titans defense is really, really good. Kevin, I mean, you know, Kevin Byard and those boys and the Simmons. Right, and those but, boys. but you're not but, like but, scared but, but, of them. But, but no, 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 no. Let's face it. When Freddy Krueger is no longer in the backfield running the ball, you're not afraid of him because I'm, I'm sorry. Because you're the Jags going. All we got to do is score nine or six again, and we can beat them. <laughs> like, you know, potentially the, uh, the, 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 the just beat the Bills. But I mean, I think you're in a division where you can win a lot of games. Yes. It just seems like the Jags have been one of those teams that, like can't get out of their own way and like winning two games in a row. They're very, very young. I think they are the youngest. Seems team like in, in the team as BJ would say, seems like a market correction is coming. Oh yeah, they're for the, yeah, for the Jags. It's really constituted. The Jags might have a chance to go two games in a row. Urban Meyer out there hugging people, getting Gatorade baths <laughs> after wins. Hey man, you want to know what it feels like to win two games in a row? He might have chance to do that, not because he is a Jag, but because Carson Wentz is he started quarterback for the opponent. I mean, team. I get it. I'm scored Falcons over the uh, over the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> All right, moving along. Take three. Should we be worried about the four and eight Atlanta Hawks, who only have more wins than the Magic and the Detroit Pistons? In the entire East, yes, and it's, and it's, and it's what you're saying. The East has gotten a lot better. The thing about the thing about uh, the thing about uh, Trey Young and these boys, you want to know can they? You know, they obviously superseded the expectations last year, shocked a lot of people last year. You know, going to the Eastern Conference Finals against you know Giannis and company, but you got to prove that you're a team that you know could take the next step. You're looking around the East, and the East has gotten a lot better. I mean, the Knicks are playing better. I mean, the Heat are, the, the Heat are playing better. Chicago and those guys are playing better. So for me. Kevin, yes, you don't want to be in any type of category with the Magic. I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna say that you don't want the Magic. Don't care about basketball anymore, okay? Eric Gordon got about it. They don't care about basketball anymore. So yes, four and eight is a long season, but you know, I, I just think Nate McMillan got to find a way to get those boys back to playing scrap, some scrappy defense, or at least, you know, at least give the illusion that they want to play some defense. Yes, we know you can score, but if you can't stop the opposing team, it doesn't matter. So, for me, Kevin, yes, it is concerning, even though it is a very, very young season, because they're going to have to start gelling here sooner rather than later, or we're going to be staring at the old the old Hawks and not, you know, the Hawks that we've gotten accustomed to here as of late. Yeah, I don't think you're too paid. I mean, you're only 12 games in, but you're about to be to that 20-game mark, and I think that's when – 
teams start to say, okay, what kind of team are we after 20 games? And the Hawks haven't necessarily shot the ball particularly well in a lot of games. And I think that's something they did tremendously well in a lot of games a, uh, a season ago. So, uh, you know, I think the Hawks surprised them. And it's one of those things, too, Ben, in sports, you know this. Hawks surprised some people uh, last year with the way they finished. Nate McMillan came in. They were a different team. You're not going to surprise anybody now. You have, about, what, three quarters of a season worth of tendencies uh, from Nate McMillan. The Hawks roster is pretty much the same more or less, as it was last year. So you kind of have the same personnel, and it comes down to who can make those plays, and can this team shoot better collectively uh, than they have to this point? I think they can. I don't think it's panic time. No. I think there's a little bit of concern, but it's like, I, because in the NBA it's one of those things you get so far down, it's like, man, even if you play 500 or 600 basketball, it's a long climb to get us back in that in that uh, relevancy category. So I don't think you're in panic mode yet, but I think if you're Nate McMillan, you're, you're sitting around looking going, all right, these are the same guys that got us to the finals last year, the yeah. Eastern Conference Finals. These yeah. are the same guys. Yeah. Same guys that got us there, and now we're off to a 4-8 and eight start. Uh, what do we need to do to you know, maybe change the rotation up, look at different minutes for some guys? And the Atlanta Hawks, and this has been said about them this year, they are a deeper team this year. So now where you're basically looking at, for most parts of last year, when Nate McMillan came in, you're like, I got seven, maybe eight guys I feel good rotating around. Now you've got – 10 or 11 guys, maybe even a 12th, but probably 10 or 11 guys that deserve minutes to get out there on the floor. And how do you give them those minutes and keep your best squad out there most of the time? I, I think that's what Nate's maybe struggling with a little bit too is team hasn't shot particularly well and you have more guys, more of a play time, more of a minutes rotation than you had to deal with last year. The thing about the Hawks that I always said, even going back to last year, is how good are they in, you know, in different situations? When you can play situational basketball during the game, can you play that up-tempo game? Yes. Can you go? Can you play a slow-down game? Yes. But the thing about it is Trey Young, Trey Young is a volume shooter. So can you have guys that get back to fundamentals, boxing out, getting rebounds, creating extra possessions? Because that's what the, that's what the, Haw- the Hawks are going to have to do what no other team has to do. They're going to have to do that dirty work. Collins and those guys, look, while I know you can jump out the gym, hurdle, I know you can shoot that thing, Cam Reddish, but can you guys play D? When I say play D in basketball, I am not talking about Gary Payton, you know. That you know, I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm not talking about Bruce Bowen. And, no, I'm saying, look, can you find a way to get a stop? Because the thing about the Hawks is they be in games, and then you look up, they lose by seven, they lose by ten because they run out of gas. Obviously, the free throws is obviously you know gonna have to improve. But me, Kevin, if they can get better with situations, they got a shot because the East. Everybody thought when LeBron left the East, the East was gonna go down. Well, you better look up again, man. The East is coming. And did I say them boys from Milwaukee? There's a guy by the name of Giannis that have developed a 15-footer. Mm, mm, the boy is shooting now, Dwight Howard. This is what happens when you when you want to be the MVP. You learn how to shoot that thing and play with your back to the basket because you don't take away from your game when you add to your game. Just just you know just a little food for thought. There you go. So not worried about the Hawks just yet. And uh, they've got a game back. Uh, they're doing a West Coast swing right now. I believe Utah tomorrow night for the Atlanta Hawks. That's take three. We do it each and every day. This time we got more to come here on 3 and Out. If you missed it, uh, yesterday I had a chance to uh, to sit down and chat with Clay Helton, head football coach, new head football coach of the Georgia Southern Eagles, to talk about his vision for uh, the program. We'll hear from him next here on 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Of the Georgia Southern Eagles, uh, Coach Clay Helton, who joins us here on 3 and Out. Coach, welcome. How are you? 
Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, doing great. Just hitting the ground running, <laughs> working daylight till dark to try to evaluate our team, recruit, uh, build relationships uh, in the community as as well as our players. And uh, there's not enough time in the day right now. That's what I figured. I figured out. Hey, I, I, we understand that. And uh, you, you look at coming into Georgia Southern. You mentioned the the tradition and the uh, the history of that. What are some of the things you've kind of found out about that Georgia Southern program in just a, a short time on the job about some of those traditions and things that they hold sacred there in Statesboro? Well, I, I tell you, the things that I've learned and I knew coming in because I had studied it, one is the tremendous leadership uh, of our president, Dr. Merrill and, and Jared Benko, uh, their vision uh, of producing a platinum standard college football program uh, that is the national story that consistently wins Sunbelt championships, but also puts itself in the national limelight. And that's why I'm here. Uh, when you talk about that tradition and the championships that have won here, six national championships, three bowl game wins since 2014, since joining the FBS, there, there's just a winning culture uh, that's here and is expected that really excited me. And then you see guys like Tracy Ham and Adrian Peterson and Coach Whitley, who's here right now. You see the greats coming in and being supportive here. That means it's a special place. And the people of this community is what makes it special. The fan base, you know, it's just, it means more here. Uh, it, whether it's the alumni or whether it's uh, folks that have grown up in the area uh, in, in Southern Georgia, it just, it, it's a special place that they absolutely love. And then, you know, finally, I, and I got to commend Jared, um, just his proactiveness uh, and how he attacked this hire and, and gave us the opportunity to really dive in to evaluate our team, to jumpstart recruiting, to be able to produce the best product for us next year. Uh, it, it really spoke volumes to me. And it's not, and it's pretty dang nice recruiting the state of Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there, are, the, what they have, there are players everywhere <laughs> that are really good. You could drive and draw a 250-mile circle uh, around Statesboro and build a championship team every year. Coach, I know you mentioned this at your introductory press conference, but how quickly did all this come together where you got the phone call, you know, there was interest, and here you're in Statesboro, what seemed like from the outside looking in uh, pretty quickly? Yeah, I, I tell you, it was over a, a couple a couple weeks' time. It started with just a simple phone call with, with Jared reaching out to me, and, and it, what was supposed to be a 10-minute a, a call turned into over an hour, uh, and and leaving that phone call – I was really excited about the opportunity. I had the opportunity to come and sit down with the search committee, see their vision, see if it was a fit both for myself as well as Georgia Southern. And it was, you know, it was something that we were both looking for. Uh, and and then, you know, having the opportunity to see the, uh, Dr. Marrera's vision, uh, I've never had a president uh, literally take over an hours of his time and be able to really talk about what he's, trying to accomplish, not only in the athletic department, but for the entire university. Um, I, I'll say this, there are really good recruiters here. <laughs> and, by the, and by the end of it, uh, when Jared off the job, he said, what do you think, Coach? I said, I'll start walking from California if you want me to. I, I believe so much in this opportunity and what it can be. Uh, having grown up in the Southeast, I know how special this place is, and I look forward to putting that, that platinum standard level again that everybody knows where Statesboro, Georgia is. And, Coach, obviously every day in college football is an evaluation, but you get to go out there and look at the guys you currently got on the roster as well as your coaching staff. What are, what are early impressions of guys that's already on the roster, and uh, what have you seen so far? 
Yeah, you, you know, it's really important being an offensive guy, being an offensive guy uh, and, and knowing that this has been a dive option football team uh, for a while. Um, what really I, we're going to be transitioning to a, a very physical uh, run game style offense, but also can be explosive down the field and attack every inch of grass. And and having this opportunity, having basically these last watch practices, you, you know, the things that have stood out to me is there's a tremendous running back core here that we're going to have the opportunity to utilize uh, to create this balanced offense that has a physical style run game. But I've been impressed. I, I've been impressed with the wide receivers that I think in the new system are going to be able to showcase themselves uh, and be able to attack every inch of grass there is on that field. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 the quarterback wise, I was really impressed with Cam uh, the, the other day coming in as a young player uh, to really spark the offense, uh, being able to watch him, you know, uh, be at practice. Uh, and obviously defensively, I thought did a great job versus Coastal Carolina. It held up for a long time. We had some turnovers in that game. But there's a there's a um, experience level on defense, uh, a, a want-to level on defense right now. They care. They're fighting hard. Um, this is a team uh, that uh, has grand expectations. Uh, and has championship expectations, and they want to get there. Um, and I'm going and between myself and our staff, we're going to help this team get back to that championship level. And coach, when you talk about that evaluation uh, piece that you're able to get, how important was it, or how big is it for you to be able to come in this last month, where a lot of times you see coaching changes uh, that yeah. take place? You're talking about you probably get to watch bowl practice and a bowl game. Uh, how much of a head start does this give you on spring ball being able to evaluate three, four ball games of, of live action here? Yeah, no, it, it, I feel like I'm stealing, Kevin, to be honest with you, because usually you come in, you get hired in December, and what do you immediately do? You're, you're in high schools, you're, you're, you're recruiting, uh, and you're away from your team uh, and you really don't know exactly the pieces of the puzzle that are, are, are currently there. Twofold, not only am I getting to evaluate a team, but I'm getting the opportunity to have one-on-one -on -one conversations throughout the week of really getting to know these guys and what they're, what they're about, uh, what, they're, what are their strengths, what are their areas of growth, what are their hopes, what are their dreams, you know, and really building relationships. And that sometimes that doesn't happen until January. You know, when they get back on campus to be able to have this time, it, you're really diving into what the team is, what its strengths are, what its areas of growth are and needs and being able to fulfill those needs in recruiting. So it's like having the answers to the test. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, is being able to garner this information and now be able to acquire the other pieces of the puzzle that we need to be a, to be a championship football team. At coach, you were obviously at SC in a couple of different roles for some time. What did you learn from that experience? And when you look back on it, what what stands out? Yeah, it, you know, the the experience that I had at SC was the most special of my life uh, because uh, it taught me one how to recruit at the highest level uh, to be able to produce top ten classes and understand the that I'm a, a lot a lot better coach when Juju Smith-Schuster and Adore Jackson and Sam Darnold around me. So the importance of it, it's a, it's a player's game and surround yourself with great quality players and people. The second thing was the expectation level uh, of, of, of college football, especially in today's time. You know, there's championship expectations and you have to welcome them as a head coach. You know, when you walk into the Georgia Southern job, people come here because they 
they expect to win championships. And it's demanded within the community. It's demanded in the fan base. It was demanded there at SC and living, living those standards each and every day on a consistent basis where you're trying to win the day every day, every 24 hours to be the best in the world. It, it, it holds you to the highest standard possible uh, as a college, as a college football coach. Um, those qualities I'm going to bring to Georgia Southern. And now being able to do it back uh, in the southeast where where I grew up is a special thing for me. I'll be honest with you, it's, it was an emotional thing for me to to be able to get family and friends again, uh, as well as uh, family members to be right to be able to do it right here is special for me and my family. So perfect fit. Uh, can't wait to get started. Already have, but uh, really excited uh, to be able to put my hands on this team and get going. Now, Coach, I know you from Gainesville. I, I went to the University of Florida like like, like mm-hmm. your father. I'm from Swainsboro, Georgia, about 30 oh, miles to the west. They got some real good football down there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing no recruiting <laughs> pitches or anything. But you talk about getting to do this back in the south. Like, I know that, you know, you, you got being from the south and now you get to coach in the south. Just talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit more because you said, look, man, I mean, when you're in the west coast, Everything you know and love is over here, even though you coaching out there. It's got to feel good knowing that the people mm-hmm. you grew up loving and knowing they get to come see you play and you back down here where football is religion down here. Yeah, well, one, I got to find a really big house and I got to get about 200, 300 extra tickets because I got every family member and every friend I've ever had saying, Coach, I'm coming. <laughs> so, one, it's great to be back here with family and friends. Uh, but two, you know, one of the, like I said earlier, one of the big reasons I took this job was really the recruiting base uh, and, and being able to understand that everything you need is right here in the state of Georgia. And you have to really focus and make that a priority one of being able to give quality talent from the state of Georgia right here. Uh, but when you look at the surrounding states, whether it's South Carolina, Alabama, uh, Florida, it, it, the recruiting base is the best of the best. It's, it's elite. And so uh, that was a huge uh, intrigue for me is to be not only at a really quality place, but be where the, the recruiting base is just the best of the best in the world. And so, um, yes, I, I will take him from your hometown <laughs> as many as you want to send to me. <laughs> Clay Helton joining us here on a three and out Georgia Southern head football coach. You mentioned that recruiting and how much has the recruiting game changed in just the last couple of years where the transfer portal has become a big deal. You've got early signing period uh, now mm-hmm. coming up in a little bit more than a month. I mean, how does that change how you approach recruiting knowing you got to sign folks a little earlier? You need high school players, and there's an ability to go out and get guys from the South who are in that transfer portal to really supplement and change your roster quickly. Yeah, you know, and that's the importance of being here now is to be able to see what the needs are, and that's what the portal has done. You know, I, I being in Los Angeles, I, I got to know uh, Les Snead and be able to see uh, the general manager uh, for the Los Angeles Rams. And if you remember, um, he he acquired that free agent market to build a Super Bowl team, went out and got a Dominican Sue, Marcus Peters, and to leave in one year, and that transferred to, to, from a playoff team to a Super Bowl team. And in college, that's what it's kind of become. I mean, you're going to have attrition each and every year, whether it's attrition with guys going to the NFL early. It could be attrition from injury. It could be attrition from a a young man trying to find another environment or another opportunity. Um, And when that happens and that attrition happens, uh, it it depends on who, who is that guy currently on your team and is he ready for the college game? It's a very young person that's still in the developmental phase. You may need a buffer 
uh, to be able to put in a guy that has experience at the college level uh, and be able to put the best product out there. At the end of the day, every head coach across the country, our job is to put the best product out there uh, to win, you know, and the transfer portal has not only been advantageous for young men maybe to find a bigger role for themselves, uh, but it's also helped universities to be able to garner uh, young men of need that we need to put the best product on the field for the following season. Coach, finally, the Sun Belt Conference, a league that's being talked about around the country, teams having success now, expansion. What are your expectations for competing in this league? Yeah, another another reason I, I came to and was so excited about this job was uh, the job that Commissioner Gill is doing right now. You know, while other conferences are breaking apart, we're, we are acquiring, you know, teams and becoming stronger. And that was a huge interest for me because as you're recruiting, you want a powerful conference. You know, I, I don't think anybody in the country wants to come in and play some, some, some belt teams. The quality of players that are in this league as well as the quality of coaches when you look around the league uh, now is, is at the highest level. So the expectations of, for us is to be a consistent conference champion. That's that's that should be a given, you know, and that's what we're going to build to. Um, but we have grander expectations than that. Like I said, we want to be the platinum standard uh, on the college football scene on a national scale. And to do that, you've got to bring in the right players uh, that can help you come win, come win not only championships but be, compete against the highest level of football at the Power Five level. Clay Helton, Georgia Southern head football coach, our guest here on 3 and Out. Coach, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me. Appreciate it. Clay Helton joining us here on 3 and Out. is already underway there uh, in Statesboro. We'll come back with more 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio. Good to be here with you on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, he has been troop. Some breaking news there out of Georgia, according to a report from Dogs HQ as Palmer Toms, Georgia wide receiver Arian Smith suffered a leg injury that is likely to end his season. He had missed multiple weeks due to injury. He had a touchdown catch, though, last weekend against Missouri. So wide receiver uh, core getting a little thin uh, there, Ben. And, uh, of course, the, the bigger news, uh, Georgia linebacker Adam Anderson uh, was officially charged with felony rape on Wednesday after a 21-year-old woman accused him of raping her in an apartment in Athens, Georgia, on October the 29th. He voluntarily turned himself in to police on Wednesday as being held without bond at the Athens-Clark County Jail. He also denied uh, the allegation through his attorney, so turned himself in, but through the attorney uh, released a statement saying, look, I'm, I'm innocent of these charges, but he was officially charged there on Wednesday. So uh, just some of the news there out of Athens before they go to uh, to Tennessee and play the Vols this weekend. Yeah, Adam Anderson, that situation is one that's very, very delicate. Uh, you know, uh, Kevin, when you think about listen, we don't we don't take any type of allegations, definitely, definitely rape allegations uh, lightly here, uh, not just on this show, but in life. And we, we're going to let the uh, justice system play itself out. We don't want to be quick to judgment. We also don't want to uh, victimize the victim. In this situation, as far as you know, so we're gonna let that uh, play itself out, and whatever, whatever uh, the uh, whatever the uh, investigation uh, you know brings up or what it finds, we're gonna you know have to live with the result. If he does, if he is indeed guilty of that, man, obviously he should get the harshest penalty. And if he is not, uh, let us the same people that was quick to judge him when he the word allegation has to mean something. Yeah. I am not, I do not know how the situation is gonna end up, but allegations means yet to be proven. That you should still be innocent until proof, and I am not. And I'm speaking more for the justice system, not Adam. 
because I don't I don't know him, but I mean, but I just want to justice to play. And as far as like Arian uh, Smith Tunes, I mean Kevin, I mean this is a this is a Georgia team that's had to overcome injury from the start. I mean George Pickens, a guy that you know uh, you know that never ever you know didn't see the field this year. Now you you, but you are getting some guys back at Jermaine Burton. But yeah, it's always. Uh, any championship caliber team is how you uh, deal with the injuries, how you deal with adversity. But, I mean, unfortunately for this Georgia team, you don't really know who played wide receiver for them because you can't move the ball on, the, on, you can't move the ball on that defense and that offense would led by Stetson Bennett get to go out there and try to just, you know, stay ahead of the chains and put points on the board because I think with this Georgia team, you give them 14 points. I mean, you pretty much done won the game. So, yeah, but, you know, Georgia is dealing with this. It's, it's – uh, it's, it's, it's dealing with its um you know uh you know level of uh, scrutiny right now yep. whether that be injuries or off the field stuff and that but that comes with the territory no matter what team you're sure on. And, and Ben I think you look at the uh, the the wide receiver uh, situation obviously Georgia offensively has looked good at times at times they've looked kind of pedestrian it hasn't really mattered uh, because that defense is so good but I think when you start talking about heading into SEC championship game college football playoff. You want to have as many potential weapons on the outside at receiver at your disposal as humanly possible. I think that makes uh, Georgia certainly even more dangerous. And, uh, again, nothing wrong with having extra weapons there on offense to complement that tremendous defense uh, there for the University of Georgia. So uh, we will see how that plays out. I I think, again, the matchup for me this weekend is Tennessee's offense against that Georgia defense because – uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I know Georgia's offense doesn't rate near the top uh, of the SEC necessarily, but Tennessee's defense, no great shakes uh, out there. You're talking about uh, gave up 40 to Florida, gave up 40 to Kentucky, uh, gave up uh, in the 30s to Pitt. I think Pitt might have got 35-38 on them. 26 uh, they gave up uh, a couple of weeks ago. I'm trying to think who it was in the uh, in the East. That they held to 26, but, but but Tennessee's defense is good for 28, 35 points every single week. Yeah. Uh, they they are they are not slowing anybody down. And if you're going to tell me that Tennessee's best route is to outscore Georgia, I don't know. I, I think Josh Heupel's offense, and, and again, I have my questions to how good it's going to work on Saturday. But if Josh Heupel's offense does as as good as they possibly can do and perform better than anybody has against Georgia's defense all season long because they run a little bit different. What are we talking about? 17, 21 points? Maybe. And your defense has been giving up 30 and 40 points a week? Again, I I don't even see that happening. That Georgia defense is so good. I could be wrong, and maybe that defense has one in them. But uh, by and large, when they've played somebody of consequence, Ben, that defense, again, you beat Kentucky, and that's great. Uh, But you gave up 40 doing it last week. It's going it's going to be a long day, Kevin. Let's face it. We're talking so much about what this Tennessee offense can do. And that Tennessee defense is saying, "Look, man, you know, that Georgia offense is efficient. It's not elite. It's efficient. Samir White and company, Stetson, Stetson Bennett and company, you know, Brock Bowers and company go out there, you know, Jermaine Burton and company. They go out there and they do what they need to do. At the end of the day, you see this, you see O in the column, you know, you see that other offense being shut down by Georgia's defense. You see the Georgia offense going out there, you know, making things happen as far as, like, putting points on the board. Stetson Bennett, he's the mailman. He can find a way to get it done. It don't have to be pretty. The box score ain't going to always look pretty. But look at that win column. So, yes, Kevin, we talking about the Tennessee, that Tennessee Vols offense led by Henry Hooker. And, you know, Josh Hopper going to want to do that, that – uh, you know, that up-tempo. But what happens when that up-tempo gets shut down? I think – I can't remember who we were talking to uh, – 
throughout the course of the week talking about Tennessee and saying, look, man, it's going to come down to those those first couple of drives. You're going to have to start. Because bigger than get, uh, getting points, you got to build confidence. you got to show. Jordan Davis, he is that big, that fast, that strong, that athletic. But then you're talking about Nicobe Dean. Oh, there go Nolan Smith. Oh, you know what I'm saying? So they, so they got guys coming from all, you know, all over that front seven. But we will see, Kevin. I mean, that's why you play the game. We, we break down it. Every way, you know, you know, from the offensive line to the defensive line to the running game to the yep. passing game. And then they say, you know, Tennessee do the unthinkable. If Tennessee do the un- this would be the unthinkable this year. Oh, it really would if be. they get it done. But I, I give college football a lot of credit. Georgia has been at their best every single week. If Georgia is not playing their best and Tennessee is and Georgia can be, you know, make mistakes and Tennessee can take advantage of the mistakes, it probably still ain't going to lead to a win. But I think, Kevin, this is what you said about when Georgia played Florida. Sometimes it's how you look in a loss. So how impressive can Tennessee look in a loss? Because, you know, if Georgia looks halfway human, they're going to say, hey, man, did Tennessee find a, you know, a kink in the armor? Which, that's, that's a, you know, and I think that, that Georgia-Tennessee rivalry isn't what it used to be. But, no. hey, man, Hendon Hooker is the guy for the job. He, is, he, he do got that hyper offense, uh, you know, playing on all cylinders. But then again, he ain't seen nothing well, like he's going to see on Yeah, Saturday. let's look at just the games of consequence for Tennessee. Obviously, against Bowling Green and Tennessee Tech, they shut people down. Vince Pittsburgh, 41 points, 38 to Florida, 24 to Missouri. Now, they put up 62, but 24 to Missouri. They gave up 20 to South Carolina, who at that point, not a great team offensively. They gave up 31 to Ole Miss, which I guess could be an impressive uh, effort against Ole Miss, but still 31 points, 52 to Alabama, and 40, uh, 42 uh, last week to Kentucky. I, I just can only imagine if you're a Tennessee fan saying, man, I think this might be one even against that defense. We could win 17-14. You are kidding yourself uh, at this point uh, with the way that Tennessee defense is played. Uh, to me, your best-case scenario is you might win 28-24. But I don't see how you're going to score 28, uh, even with that up-tempo offense. I, I, I just don't see it with this Tennessee uh, with this Tennessee team. And we'll, we'll chat with Eric Kane, 99-1, the sports animal, top of the next hour. He'll tell us why we're wrong, I'm sure. But... I think even if Tennessee has a great day, I mean, what has a great day been against this Georgia defense? I mean, nobody's been 17, 20. I mean, if you do that, you might have a chance, but your defense in big games, the worst, the, the least amount of points you've given up in an SEC game is 20. And I think Georgia's offense is better than South Carolina's, if you're asking me. So, I, I mean, I think you, you have to expect you're going to give up close to 30 uh, in this game. So, uh, at, at the very least. So, I, I, again, I, I think Tennessee, is that's going to be the interest of how much can that offense do against Georgia's defense. Because defensively, unless they do something they have not done pretty much all season long, I, I think Georgia's going to put points up. Yeah, and and Kevin, the thing about Georgia, if they're doing it efficient, they're not, they're not blowing people out. They're not they're – not, they don't look like the Georgia offenses of the past, right? Just saying, oh man, it was over. I mean, I mean, I mean by they the time- are blowing people out, but it's but again, their defense is putting them in yeah. great situations to do that. And, and, and again, I I I don't want to like sit there and say, oh, I'm poo-poo. No, I, I think the defense has been the catalyst for a lot of what they've been able to do in a number of games offensively. Look at what they did. I mean, offense got credit for all those points against Florida, but the defense directly set them up for 21 of those. In the span of about two minutes. So, I mean, yes, the offense scored, but the defense is putting Georgia in just tremendous positions to have short drives, short fields, and, and put points on the board. Kevin, at the end of the day, Stetson Bennett is the guy for the job at quarterback. I know it's always about this JT Daniels this, JT Daniels that. Stetson Bennett goes out there and gets it done. It don't, we don't, you don't need to have Heisman-type numbers. you got to keep them ahead of the chains. Don't turn the ball over. It's get true. the ball in the end zone, and that's what he's doing. And that's how good this, 
this this um this Georgia team is. They're not winning in spite of Stetson Bennett. He's a big reason why they are winning. But that Georgia defense, like you said, against Florida, that's how fast the tide can turn. It's 0-0. Next thing you know, up three straight turnovers, 24-3. So I just think with this, with this Georgia defense, they understand, look, we control what we can control, and we're going to dictate tempo when it comes to the opposing offense, even with an offense like Tennessee. But if Tennessee can get going and build some momentum, build some confidence, Kevin, We'll see how the game, uh, you know, yeah, we'll see a, how the game goes. It's a faster pace than I think Georgia's played yeah. all season long, and that will be interesting to watch. But I still think even with a bad day, Tennessee's defense better show up. We'll talk to Eric Kane about that coming up in just a little bit. This is 3 and Out on the Southern Pigs. Welcome back to 3 and Out. I am being true. He is Kevin Thomas. He is Cam Urser with a K, not a C. But <laughs> – Today is Veterans Day, and the thing about Veterans Day, Kevin, something me and you talked about, we, we give them one day when we should give them every day, but this is a person that's near and dear to me, my big brother, once a Marine, always, always a Marine, Semper Fi, Staff Sergeant Lucas Troop. What's going on with you today, Lucas? What's going on, man? What you doing? Now, Lucas, I mean, I, I, I try not to say what Veterans Day is for you because obviously you – I don't know how many tours of duty – um, you did, but I do remember going into my senior year at Florida. People was asking me, and hey being how you know, what are you looking forward to do this season? I, and I simply told them, listen, man, I get to play football, you know, at the University of Florida. My brother finna get off of playing him and his, you know, him. I mean, him and his fellow soldiers, and they gonna be shooting at people that shooting back at them. So I ain't really worried about it, man. I just want my brother to come back home safe and sound. But what does Veterans Day mean to you? It means a lot, man. But you gotta get it right, bro. You gotta get it right. You said soldiers. That's for the army. You know, I'm a troop times two Marines or troops. And uh, that's what we are. I'm, I'm that time too. But it means a lot, man, because you, you, know, you get to look back on what you did. You get you look back on what you did for this country. You get to look back on like now. I just open my garage and I can see kids out here playing because of stuff that I did to help people do this. You know, it's called freedom. That's what I was over there fighting for. So everybody can have freedom of speech, freedom to do whatever they want when they want, how they want. Just don't get in no trouble doing nothing crazy. But you know, that's why I did. I love what I was doing. I do miss it every now and then, but, you know, I'm a little older now, so I can't do everything I used to do. <laughs> I miss it. You can still beat your, your younger brother in, uh, in football and hoops all day, right? That, that you still can do. Well, yeah, I mean, Benny can beat me in a, a, a few things because he's taller and bigger than me. But one thing I have always been able to beat my brother in, he's taller and bigger than me, but I'm way stronger than him. So I can get him in that. <laughs> but when it comes to some more stuff, you know, He'll tell you we play basketball. Luke can only do the same dunks. I'm like, well, I'm not red 6'5". I'm almost 6'1". You should be able to do different things. I mean, you're a lot taller and longer. But for the most part, uh, it, it, it does mean a lot. I've been getting it all day today. For some people who I clean forgot about that I was served with, calling me and saying what's going on. That's what I'm Happy Veterans Day. And I called my daddy and a few family members to let them know. Thank you for their service, too. But, you know, when you can see, back, when you can see what you did, and my brother said earlier how many tours I did, I did eight. 2002 to 2013, uh, four for a year, two for 10 months, two for eight months. I was literally never home. But um, you just can remember everything, the people that lost their lives and, you know, people that are still here. Luckily for me, I'm still here. I'm still one of the ones that, you know, can look back and say I came home on every occasion. But, you know, just sit back and think about all the things for Veterans Day. I'm, I'm glad I did what I did in the United States Marine Corps. We gotta get out of accomplishments that I I made and just sit back and look like at the sunset. That just means like I remember going in whatever country, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Africa, Spain, wherever I was at. You know, sometimes when the sun set, that means it's gonna be the last day for a lot of people. 
And when the sun rises, all the people that could have been coming back are not coming back. But luckily, me, I was always one of the ones that uh, came back. So it really do mean a lot because I'm still here. And Lucas, I mean, a lot of times, too, I mean, you you got your immediate family. You know, you got us. But I just think that what what do you say to the guys who you the, – the men and women you served with that became your family? Well, you, you, you met a few of them. Uh, I, met, I have a lot of people that I'm real cool with still. I call them my other brothers because a lot of my friends that's, that was in the Marine Corps with me, they act like my little brother. They act like Benjamin LaShawn Truth. And he done <laughs> met a few of them. And I'm like, the reason why I'm so cool with you because you – Funny like my brother. I don't know what you're going to say, but he can make anybody in a situation better when he when he can tease from ear to ear because he got a huge smile. But I got pretty much everybody who I'm still like brothers with from the Marine Corps from 20-plus years ago. He, Like I said, my brother and I met a few of them. I, I told him, the reason why me and you so cool because you are like my little brother. My little <laughs> brother is a clown. He can make anybody laugh. So, you know, when you have family away from family, it's always a good thing, especially when you stayed away from the house the way I did. Absolutely. Hey, Lucas, we were up against it. We really appreciate you coming on and sharing a few moments. Uh, thank you for your service. We appreciate it. Okay. All right, Kevin. Y'all have a good one. All right, Ben. Good to have you back here. Three and out, final hour of the show. We'll hear from Mark Passwaters, AggieYell.com. Texas A&M has got Ole Miss, very important there in the West. Texas A&M still has a chance. Uh, with Auburn beating uh, Alabama, they could go to Atlanta, but they have to win out and get a little help there. Big game coming up for the Georgia Bulldogs in Tennessee against the Vols this weekend. And joining us here from 99.1, the sports animal in Knoxville, Eric Kane joins us here on 3 and Out. Eric, welcome. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Glad to be here. Hey, appreciate you coming on. Uh, from from our standpoint, as we ask you, what's the uh, what's the strategy for Tennessee this weekend? What's the best way for them to try to knock off number one? Yeah, you got to rely on those explosive plays, right? I, I think it's going to be difficult for Tennessee to try to run the football on this Georgia defense. It's a it's a defense that is elite in the front seven. Uh, it starts inside out. Big Jordan Davis in the middle. Defense only giving up 81 yards on the ground per game, and so uh, I think it's uh, you know Tennessee do something it does well, and that's attack the perimeters with the passing game. Javante Payton out there scored on play one with a screen at Kentucky. Valus Jones has done a good job of getting open in space, and I think Tennessee really just needs to try to get the ball on the perimeter, get into the second and third layers of the defense for um, for Georgia and uh, try to create some explosive plays in that manner. Tennessee's done a great job with explosive plays this season. You're going to need a couple if, uh, if you want to hang with George on Saturday. And, Eric, I mean, uh, the emergence of a guy like Hendon Hooker and what he means to this uh, Coach Hyper offense that wants to definitely run a lot of plays, how much of those first couple of drives are going to be pivotal, not necessarily to come away with points, but to show that, listen, we can move the ball on these guys and try not to get a couple of any three and out? Yeah, I think it's huge. And, again, Tennessee's one of the best first-quarter scoring offenses in the country. And I think it's because of this fast-paced offense and, and, you know, the pace that it goes. Tennessee, of course, it's the fastest team in the country in terms of it runs more plays per minute than any other team in the country. And I think there's an adjustment period there in the first and second quarter of uh, football games. And, and I think that's why Tennessee's had so much first-quarter success offensively. And so, you know, Georgia's not just in the defense. I think Georgia will be quick to correct itself and will be quick to adjust to that. Uh, but, you know, Tennessee, the first couple of drives, you're right. I mean, this football game is going to be very, very critical uh, to try to take advantage of that because, again, I, I think yards and points are obviously going to be hard to come by. Uh, so I, would, I, I think those drives are very critical in this football game. You look at 
getting off to a good start, but when you go fast, go fast, go fast, and I, we've seen Josh Heupel at uh, Central Florida and at Tennessee, how important is it, especially against Georgia, to not go three and out and look at a drive that maybe only takes 30 seconds? Yeah, that's the, that's the, um, you know, that, that's the downside of, of this offense. It's fun when it's clicking. It's fun when you're, you're out there scoring a whole lot of points, but if you do go three and out, I mean, you're looking at a, you know, maybe a minute drive. And that's not helping anybody out. That's not helping your defense out. That Tennessee's defense is the last three games has played 101, 92, and 99 plays defensively. That's just way too many plays, um, and, and it's not helping it out. And so um, you, that's why you, you try to establish a, some sort of a run game. And, and Josh Heupel spoke on that earlier this week about the importance of trying to be balanced, of trying to trying to establish that run game. And uh, you know Tennessee's had fair share of injuries in the backfield with Jabari Small. Ion Evans, Jalen Wright, one of the Lenise Whitehead, all those guys have been banged up so far this year. But uh, three and outs are very bad in this offense. Three and outs are bad at any offense, don't get me wrong. But three and outs in this offense, not good, simply because of the nature of the beast. It's it's your defense is right back out there. And, Eric, I mean, obviously Tennessee is, is the latest to try to see if they can, they can solve this problem known as the front seven of this Georgia defense. But – if Tennessee can't find a way to get a momentum, and just say the Tennessee is still in, Tennessee is playing the first three quarters the same way they played Alabama, which is still the barometer in college football. Tennessee can find a way to stay in the first the first three quarters and make a game of it. If and this is a big if, if Tennessee can pull off a a thriller and beat Georgia, bigger than what it would mean for college football. What it would mean? What will it mean to the brand of Tennessee Vols football? Oh man, I mean, if that were to happen. I mean, it, it, it mean everything, right? I mean, you, we're, we're talking here in town about how Josh Heibel got his first win over a ranked opponent in Kentucky and how that was just a big deal. And, yes, that is, that is Kentucky that's been historically a punching bag for Tennessee, right? Um, it would just continue to go on. and it just I mean, there, there are positive thoughts here about Josh Heibel right now. Everybody's impressed with what Josh Heibel has done in year one, the pace that he's at, the way the offense has improved, the way they're getting – so much out of the defense, way more than anyone ever thought they'd get out of the defense. And just kind of the, the trajectory that you're on right now, you know, people and fans are pleased about that. But if you were to go out and beat Georgia, I mean, that would be only the third win over a top-ranked team all time in Tennessee history and uh, 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 over a defense that I truly believe is elite. I believe this is the best defense Hendon Hooker will ever see in college. I think this is the best defense, you know, maybe any of these guys will ever see throughout their college careers. I mean, it would be – monumental for the Tennessee football program that has endured so much heartache the last decade plus and, of course, the last year and everything that happened with Jeremy Pruitt and so on and so forth. It'd be huge for Tennessee, and it would be fun for college football considering the shakeup it would create in the standings. Uh, certainly, Eric Keane, 99-1, the sports animal, joining us here on a three and out. Flip it to the other side uh, for Tennessee and that defense. You mentioned they're getting more than they could have expected, but this is a team I think the least amount of points they've given up in SEC play is 20. Uh, obviously, you're going against a team that hasn't given up 14 all year long. What's the task here for this Tennessee defense? Uh, what's the number they have to hit to, to even give you a, a chance there on Saturday? I mean, you gotta, you got to get off the field on third downs, right? I mean, you really got to get off the field on third downs. This is the Georgia offense that, I mean, it's solid. I mean, you, you're scoring 38 points per game. I mean, it's a slouch. It's, 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 a, uh, it's an offense that has a lot of good offensive linemen, big, burly offensive linemen, about four running backs that can get it and go, you know, some wide receivers that, that are talented, a freshman tight end that's incredible. 
Um, it, it, it's not elite like on the other side of football with, with that Georgia defense, but when you're position and good field position and you take advantage of what's given to you, I mean, you don't have to be elite. You just have to be good. So that's kind of what this Georgia offense is, in, in my opinion. And, you know, this defense, I think the last uh, two games is kind of, a, you know, the defense that we expected all year long, just no depth on the field, can't get off the field on third downs, uh, allowing quarterbacks to run all, or allowing opposing running backs and quarterbacks to run all over them. Tennessee has really struggled with quarterbacks running on them the last couple of games and uh, just trying to get off the field on third downs. It's been it's been abysmal here lately. Tennessee missed 17 tackles against Kentucky. I, again, I just think it's it's this defense getting tired and it's it's the lack of depth and it's really really showing. So Tennessee's got to be plus a couple in the turnover uh, margin. You got to create some plays. You got to get that ball back to the offense and, and get back there. Make it difficult for Stetson Bennett, who has done a fine job this year. He really has. Make it difficult and, and maybe try to force him out of the game. And who knows? You want to see JT Daniels in this game, but you've got to be a smart plug on defense to try to give and create more possessions for your offense to to get chances to score. And Eric, I mean, this is something. This is something I would have said a year ago. But is Tennessee defense strategy is for Stetson Bennett to kind of you know for, you know make some mistakes and potentially get pulled for JT Daniels? Yeah, yeah, potentially. I think it's wild too. I mean, I cannot believe, but you guys know a lot, you know, a lot better than I do. I just, I cannot believe JT Daniels is not playing. You know, and uh, you know, there's, there's been talk that uh, a lot of Georgia fans might want to see him tomorrow. There's been talk that JT Daniels might be playing in this football game. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, Stetson Bennett's kind of like why rock the boat. You know, he's done a fine job. He's number three in quarterback efficiency in the entire country. I think he's done a fine job. Uh, you're nine and zero. Why, why mess with them, some things? But I, I think it's obvious that J.T. Daniels is the more talented guy, and he's just waiting in the wings for whenever you need him, whether that's Tennessee Saturday, whether that's Alabama in the SEC Championship, whether it's whoever in the college football playoff. you got a J.T. Daniels sitting there that's getting healthier and healthier and ready to roll. So who knows? But, if, yeah, if you, if you get the Stetson Bennett and you, you, know, you force him into some, some bad decisions, your consolation prize could be J.T. Daniels, the former, you know, Top quarterback prospect in the country, five-star prospect, and, and, and still some tremendous talent. Um, it's it's going to be wild. I, I just know that that's, that's been a, a good talking point amongst the fan bases leading into this one. And you talk about the development of uh, the, the, the program here under, uh, under Josh Heupel. Uh, given what the rest of the East is looking like, I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibility, potentially, that Tennessee finishes second there uh, in the East. Uh, is that a reflection of Josh Heupel in this program, a reflection of the, maybe the rest of the East? How, how, how's that kind of being viewed as where Tennessee could potentially finish uh, here in the SEC East when it's all said and done? Yeah, I think it could be a little bit of both. I mean, Florida is, is just – I mean, what's going on? You know, like, like Florida is just – that's not what anybody expected, right? Missouri is a lot worse than what anybody expected, right? Kentucky started off 6-0 and and now have lost, what, three in a row, right? So – um, I think you can. I think it has a little bit to do with with what the East is this year. But I mean, credit Josh Heupel. I think he's done a fine job. I mean, I, you know, has it been perfect? Absolutely not. But you know, playing the cards that you've been dealt, you know, he and, and Tim Banks on the defense side of the football. I mean, it's been it's been really impressive to, to be completely honest. You know, we've seen just how talented of a play caller Josh Heupel is. How talented of an offensive mind he is with with how he's drawn things up to get guys open this year been really really impressive i mean this team is completely bought into josh heupel you got a couple of six-year guys that have taken advantage of the covid year that have really tried to set this culture and set the standard and 
and try to turn the page, man, and try, try, try to change the way Tennessee football is perceived from a national perspective and, and trying to kind of lay that first block in the foundation. No, not brick by brick. I'm not going Butch Jones here, but lay the foundation of trying to turn this program back to what it should be. It's been really, really impressive. So I'd say it's a little bit of both, but I think Josh Heibel does deserve a lot of credit for what he's done this season. And, Eric, I mean, even sticking with Josh Heibel, I mean, when you think about what he was inheriting, right, obviously the transfer portal was – just decimated this Tennessee team. You look at how many guys they lost. And then he was a guy that really wanted to be the head coach. I, I mean, I get the Coach Pruitt situation to where I don't know where he was on the coaching list. I know he wasn't in the top five. He was a guy that finally said yes. Just talk about just the job he's done and how quickly he's done it. We don't know what 2022 is going to be. It's not his fault that the East is down this year. He just happened to be playing better. But just talk about the fact that he's got these guys to buy in very, very quickly. And who knows where they would be if Hendon Hooker was a starter from day one. Yeah, I mean, who knows <laughs> Who knows where they'd be if Hendon Hooker wasn't on this football team, right? I mean, that's one of the last things Jeremy Pruitt did while he was the head coach here. He brought in Hendon Hooker via the transfer portal to, to run his offense, to run Jim Chaney's offense. And then obviously, you know, those guys were fired. Or, uh, uh, Pruitt was fired, and that staff left. And Hooker was sitting here as, as a very talented, capable, extra quarterback, right? I mean, he, he competed in spring. Josh Heifel, again, saw the, the quarterbacks that he had through 15 practices, said, hey, I need to add another one of the mix. Went out and got Joe Milton, the guy that you know they, they tried to bring down to UCF back out of high school, and, and Milton won the job out of camp, started the first couple of games of the year, wasn't working out. And you throw in a guy that's 15 Power 5 starts under his belt, and He's just taken off, and so you're right. I think if Hendon Hooker started the season off, who knows where they could be. Could they have won the pit game? I believe they probably could have. I mean, they were they were in it the entire time whenever he entered the football game and ultimately till that end when they lost by a touchdown. Um, they they struggled offensively from the get-go in trying to complete the down-the-field passing. Maybe if, if uh, Hooker was in there from the very beginning, it wouldn't have lasted that long. But overall, he's been incredible for this offense. He's been uh, you know great with Josh Heupel, the way they've worked together. And, you know, as far as Josh Heifel's concerned, yeah, he, yeah, you're right. He wanted to be here. Tennessee um, was just getting raided by the transfer portal. Getting, it was a national punching bag in terms of what's going on with Jeremy Pruitt and the sanctions and all that that's looming. He came to Tennessee not knowing if – We may have lost Eric there momentarily uh, on the program. Eric, can you hear us? I can. Sorry about that. There we go. We did. You were there, and then you disappeared. It was a magic trick. We have you back. Yeah, sorry about that. But nonetheless, it's Josh Heupel. He wanted to be here, and um, not many coaches in America would sign up for what potentially could have been here in Knoxville uh, with, with what could have came with the NCAA sanctions, and that's still TBD for a big part. But Heupel wanted to be here, and um, he's starting to turn things around. And Georgia going to Knoxville this weekend. Eric Kane, 991, the sports animal in Knoxville. Our guest, Eric, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks as always, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, Eric Kane joining us here on 3 and Out as Tennessee and Georgia. We've talked about what's kind of the strategy there for Tennessee. Uh, Going to have to play up tempo and offense. Can't have the 3 and Outs. And then defense, Ben, I feel like the strategy is just hold on for dear life. Because, I, I, again, you talked about the improvement on the defense, but at the same time said, hey, the last two games is more of like what we expected from the Tennessee defense. Well, now's the wrong time to be getting what you expected from the Tennessee defense. You're going to have to have an A-plus effort 
or again, I don't think it's going to be close. And I agree, Kevin. If, if this Tennessee defense can play, like, everybody has a game in them, right? Like we've all had, we've all seen teams that say, "Look, I don't know where that came from." Well, you're going to need t- Tennessee defense to kind of force that Georgia offense to do things they don't want to do. Force them a minute to throw in the lane, the very, very tight throwing lanes. Force them to be one dimensional. You don't want to what you don't let this running game kind of stay okay. Hasn't been great for Georgia this year. You don't want the running game because if the running game is going, Kevin, he don't got to throw the football. Yeah, that's true. They speed the game up, so force them to be one dimensional. Force there's a minute to beat you. Find a way to, to you know to kind of slow down, you know, Bowers, and you're gonna have to maybe uh, play, uh, you know, uh, cover two robber with a guy like Jermaine Burton. But yes, if, if the Tennessee de- going into the game is all about the Georgia the Georgia Bulldogs and that Georgia defense. If coming out of the game, we saying, dude, did you see that Tennessee defense? They got I don't know, Kevin. Once again, I don't know if that's gonna lead to a win. But if it's the fourth quarter and it's still a game, I think that I think that bodes well for, for Tennessee, a team that's playing with house money and really have nothing to lose. Yeah, I think they got to get to that point, and I don't know that they can uh, with that defense. I mean, again, they gave up 42 last week uh, to Kentucky. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. Could we have a new playoff format in the works? We'll talk about that. And Mark Passwater still to come. We'll talk about Texas A&M, Ole Miss this weekend. Texas A&M. Still an outside chance to get to Atlanta in the SEC championship game. We'll hear from him in about 20 minutes. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We'll hear from Mark Passwater's Aggie Yell coming up in just a little bit. We'll look at Texas A&M, Ole Miss this week. Big game in the West. Texas A&M still in it for a potential trip to the SEC championship game. They would need some help uh, from Auburn beating Alabama, but they are not out of it just yet. We did get an updated 12-team model, Ben. Uh, Ross Dellinger saying at the meeting last week, a group of conference commissioners introduced a new alternate 12-team postseason model that guarantees a berth to each Power 5 champion. So if you win your conference, you're in. Sources told Sports Illustrated the model is almost identical to the one a subcommittee introduced over the summer, aside from one change. Here's the change. The alternate model grants automatic bids to the Power 5 champions plus the highest-ranked Group of 5 champion. The subcommittee's proposal gives automatic access to the six highest-ranked conference champions. Each format completes the field with six at-large selections based on the rankings. And uh, one athletic director with knowledge said it's it's either 12 or we're going to stay with four. So it seems like the 12-team model is going to be uh, the way to go. You get the six power five, five power five champions, the highest-ranked group of five champion, and six at-large bids uh, for teams that maybe didn't win the conference but are still very, very good, and you're going to fill out that field uh, moving forward. I like it. Again, I, this is a model I'm actually behind. I know BJ said, well, what happens if a four-win team uh, – we always ask the wrong question about this. What happens if a four-win team wins the conference? Well, why don't you go ask the one-loss team why they lost to a team with four losses in the conference championship game? That, I mean, that's kind of the way I see it. You earn it on the field. You want to get in, earn it on the field. We tell this in basketball all the time. Hey, you want to get in the NCAA tournament? Don't have bad losses coming down the stretch. Don't lose to bad teams. Have a good resume. Uh, and if you have a chance to do it on the feet, on the court, do it. Same thing with football. If we play by the same rules in your conference, you have a chance to do it. Why can't you beat that team that you don't think is very good? They go out there and get it done. Give them a chance. If they're not good, and again, I've always had this conversation, if the SEC is the best conference, maybe there is a conference champion that could have two, three losses. If they get in and you're the best conference, they'll probably smoke everybody. But they got to get in first. And I think that is uh, one of those things where it kind of eliminates the, well, my conference is better than your conference. Well, no, this is the best my conference produced, whether you like it or not, through the regular season, and a conference championship game, this is the best my conference produced. Let's see how it stacks up. I, I, I like it. I think 12 is always going to be the way it goes, Ben, because, again, what's it all come down to? 
money. Do all these conference commissioners care about winning the national championship? On some level, yes. Do they care about getting that money? A hundred percent. Again, Pac-12 hasn't been in the, in the playoffs a couple years. Do you think the ACC is happy about not having a team in the playoff after Clemson's been? No, there's a big check that's not coming in this year they've been accustomed to. When the SEC got two teams, you think they love that? Of course, they got two slices of pie uh, out of that bad boy. So it's not only about winning, it's more about the money. And the P5 schools uh, certainly want it. And the G5 schools said, just give us a little access so we can at least get one slice. Give us one slice to get started. And, and go from there. I do. I do like the automatic bids, Kevin. I think. I think. And uh, I think what you're saying is a great point. When you talk about well, how, how does a four-loss team win the conference? Well, that was a reflection of the conference that year. That means that the conference was just better. I, when a bunch of teams are lo- when it, when a, when the conference champions have a bunch of losses, that means it was very very competitive. If the same teams keep winning every year and they're thirteen and one, twelve and one. You know, sometimes those are outliers. But I do think too that if we're going to do this like this, that means that you're going to have to look at the G five totally different. Because right now we do got the bias of these P fives, and you're gonna be like, "Hey man, these P five comments are a lot low to top to bottom." Look at the AP, look at the preseason AP poll. It is littered with ACC, SEC, Big Ten teams, and next day, and then we'll fill out the rest. We'll fill out the top heavy, you know, our, you know, our Big Twelve or Pac twelve teams. So yes, Kevin, that auto, that automatic bid for that for that G five conference is huge because once again, Kevin, I, I'll be saying this. 12 teams is the best way to go because it's a true representation of how many teams. If there are what? You got you got P5, you got G5. How many how many schools is that? How many how many players are that? And you telling me only four get in now? That that that's not a true depiction of how many players and teams are in these conferences. Well, I mean, I, I think here's the here's the key point where uh, you talk about conference champions and, and and getting that automatic bid. That I, I think when you talk about right now, everybody's saying, oh, it's going to end up being Georgia, Oklahoma, but okay, and and maybe it is, but right now. With three weeks to go, or four weeks to go, in the, the college football uh, see actually three weeks to go, I guess. With three weeks to go in the college football season, how many teams, and this is in what people consider the best team, best conference member, how many teams have a chance to go to the SEC championship game? Three. We know Georgia's in. Yep. Alabama, Texas ain't it. How many teams in the ACC right now have a chance to get to the championship game in Charlotte? Five. Yeah. Six. I mean, yeah. I, and, and, and I'm saying that, and you say, well, maybe that's – no, that's interest. If my team still has a chance three weeks out, I'm still paying attention. Hey, if we win with it, we, we can still go to Charlotte. How many teams in the Big Ten still have a chance to get to Indianapolis, the Big Ten championship? Five? Yeah. Six? It's not just locked in. It's like, hey, so now you've, you've taken it from interest from, well, we may have three losses. If we win, they won't let us in the championship, to, hey, we have one or two losses. If we can get there – we would still have a chance. Yes. I think that increases interest in teams that think, whether they do or not, but believe they have a chance. It gives you more of a reason to pay, not sit here in mid-November going, when's that phone call from the Liberty Bowl coming? So we can go ahead and just get that locked up. No, no. Still have a chance to go to the AC Championship, Big Ten. That's, that means you still have a chance to get in the playoffs. It's not all said and done. It's not all written in stone. Hey, you're going to the Orange Bowl because you got three losses and you're just not going to get in. No. Win the conference. I, I – I really enjoy that part of it where keep the teams in it through what they do on the field, give them a chance, and it's way more interesting when it's not all locked up. Well, here's all of our conference championship matchups. We just got to play out these last two, three weeks. No, infinitely more teams going to be involved in that discussion of can we get to the conference championship game, and if we do – we are one win away from potentially having a spot. I mean, the NCAA, the NCAA tournament basketball, Kevin, is not, it's not that different from what you would do if you go to 12 teams in college football, right? What we love about the NCAA tournament? Upsets. 
I'm, and we talking about first. Oh man, this team. We, we bracket. Listen, when Warren Buffett did, I would give you a billion dollars if you can give me a perfect bracket because he knows it is almost impossible to do one. Twelve teams is a true depiction of what college football is because, listen, it doesn't matter what you did in the regular season. You, you wanted the 12 teams, hey, man, this team will ranked 12-1, and, and they got beat by a team that went, you know, 8-4 and four. because that team that went 8-4 and four, won the conference, was a, you know, got an automatic bid and, and, and was able to play. And another thing I think that plays into this, when we talk about better football and just kind of think, you get a little bit of time, but conference championship weekend happens. You get two weeks, and you're right in it. It's not a month off. It's not, hey, we get all this yeah. time to prepare. It is, hey, we got two weeks. Boom, here the brackets come out on Monday, and we got two weeks to get ready to play a football game. It's not, hey, we got a month to kind of sit around, and guys are going to get healthy. Maybe we get rusty. Maybe, I think you will see better football in the playoffs because it's a week off, and then you're back in game week uh, preparations for the playoff. I, I, I think you'll catch teams that are hot. Much like you do in baseball, NBA teams that play hot coming down the stretch, that week off to get healthy, they're right back in it. Probably carry some of that momentum, and maybe you see better football uh, in the playoffs there as well. If Leonard Fournette, if Christian McCaffrey, both teams were in the college football playoff and they was one of the 12 teams, what's the likelihood of those guys opting out? Zero percent. If I get a chance to play for the world to see, that's going to help keep the best players out there. Because, Kevin, that's what it's like. The one thing about it is people go, why do people like this like preseason? Preseason to make sure I don't want the best players that are the, uh, are the phases of the NFL to not make it to the regular season. If I want these phases of college football to play in the postseason, you better put them in that college football playoff because it's, it's, been, it's been expanded. And, once again, the NCAA tournament. There are teams in college basketball. One, I did not know had basketball teams. Two, I did not know was good, right? But then you look at Loyola Chicago. Look at what look at what they did. So I'm just saying the 12 teams is if you're the best team in college football, it shouldn't matter who you play, right? But for one game, it matters. Because now, hey, man, I'm not watching this team in the SEC all year. Man, I'm out here in the Midwest. I'm out here in the Northeast. But for one game, I got to show you how we play because you got to adjust to us as much we got to adjust to you. I just think it's better, Kevin, because variety in, variety in sports is always good because we – I mean, did you see the so-and-so be so-and-so? Yep, because it's one game. It's not the whole season. Yeah. But that team went 8-4. Yeah, but they won their conference that year. I, I, I think it's great for college football because it makes it so that yeah. it's, a, it's a full – it's a full, you know, variety of college football, not just certain regions yeah. of the country. and it doesn't mean that that team goes on to win Absolutely. the national championship. But if you pull an upset and upset the apple cart there, it makes it very, very interesting. We'll come back. Mark Passwaters, AggieYell.com will join us. Texas A&M, Ole Miss this week. Can the Aggies still figure out a way to get into the SEC championship game? He'll join us when we come back here on 3 and Out. Texas A&M and Ole Miss this weekend. Wild things happening out there in the West. Still, it's not all said and done on that side of the conference. Joining us here from AggieYell.com, Mark Passwater steps in here on 3 and Out. Mark, welcome. How are you? Oh, doing okay. How about y'all? Hey, man, we are doing doing fantastic. Uh, Texas A&M, man, they've ridden the roller coaster uh, seemingly all season long. But if they can win out, get a little help from Auburn, still, I, I believe, what, have an outside chance of making it to Atlanta here. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's frustrating to think about two losses you shouldn't have had against Arkansas and Mississippi State. But, uh, you know, it just took this team some time to gel and get over some injuries, obviously, uh, the one to quarterback Haynes King being the most uh, obvious, but they've put things together. They've adjusted on the fly. The defense is finally playing the way that it was expected to and maybe a little better. And, uh, you know, the running game and the offensive line are performing well. So, you know, it's uh, it's been a very interesting season, but it could have a very uh, good ending, put it that way. 
I mean, Mark, what do you attribute those back-to-back losses to? I mean, obviously, it's a curious case of uh, the two losses with this Texas A&M team. I'm not, obviously, Haynes King uh, going down hurts, but you're still able to go out there and write the ship. But back-to-back losses in the SEC West is going to hurt any team. But what do you attribute those, uh, you know, those, those two back-to-back losses to? Well, Jimbo Fisher attributed it to uh, the team not gelling yet. And I think by the team he means especially the offensive line and uh, Zach Calzada. Uh, the offensive line for the first month of the season was terrible. They gave up 13 sacks. They couldn't rush, run block. They, they were playing musical chairs at virtually every position. But the week before the Alabama game, they started to figure th- some things out. Uh, everything started to come together, and obviously things have changed significantly. You've got a team that's rushed for 200 yards or more each of the last three weeks. They put up uh, 31 points on – or. 34 points on Alabama, and uh, something changed significantly, and Jimbo tends to just rack it up to the number of snaps and experience guys finally got. And you look at, uh, again, what could be an amazing game coming up this weekend against Ole Miss. Uh, could be a lot of points uh, potentially in this game, but uh, what do you see happening there on a Saturday between these two? I think A&M's going to go out there and try to run right at them. Uh, you take a look at last week, and Everybody's saying, oh, that was an impressive win over Liberty. Uh, They gave up 284 yards rushing. That's an awful lot. This is a team that gave up 350 to Arkansas on the ground, and this is by far the best duo of backs they've seen in Isaiah Spiller and Devon Aging. And the Aggie offensive line has done its job and then some the last several weeks, and I don't think anybody's going to confuse uh, Ole Miss's defense with Auburn's. Auburn's is significantly better. I think South Carolina's is better. Uh, so I think keep it simple. Just go right at them. If you got to throw the football, uh, they tend to leave the middle of the field open, and that sounds like Jalen Weidermeyer and Ian Smith. And even and even with Weidermeyer, I mean, a guy, a guy that I really, really like. I mean, obviously the tight end position is is is. Is, uh, is something Texas A&M has grown uh, accustomed to. I mean, it reminds me of old Marcellus Bennett uh, back in the day. Talk about when they were able to go out there and get Widermeyer going. He's a guy that's very, very dangerous when you get him early and often in the passing game. Yeah, if uh, Widermeyer's catching the ball, there's no more complete tight end in college football right now. He's improved his blocking significantly, and he has really good feet for a guy who's 265 pounds. He can make you miss in the open field. So if he's you know, he's had struggles with drafts. He had four last week. But if he's catching the football and he gets in the open field, you're going to have trouble, one, getting a beat on him, and two, bringing him down. And if he's able to consistently get open, consistently catch the football, then A&M is going to be able to move the chains and continue to kind of grind this game out. And I think that's what they want to do. Defensively, as you mentioned, uh, A&M's been really good. Matt Corral was one of the preseason Heisman Trophy candidates uh, that everybody was talking about. What are they facing there when they, uh, they, they try to slow him down? Well, that's the real question. Uh, you know, obviously, Corral's not 100%. Uh, their wide receiver core looks like it's still depleted. I don't know. I've been watching very closely to figure out if Ontario Drummond's going to play because uh, that would be a difference maker. But I think that A&M will probably handle uh, Corral the same way or similarly to what they did against Bo Nix, and that is, you bring pressure, you bring pressure from a lot of different directions, but you also have a bunch of big guys up front uh, in order to slow the running game down. But what you do is keep guys in position. You have to be disciplined 
and not just necessarily chase Corral all over the field. One thing that people probably didn't see against Auburn was when Bo Nix broke out of the pocket, the guys that were normally chasing him from the other side of the line stopped. They waited for him to come back, uh, which I thought was extremely smart by Mike Elko. So I think that they're going to throw a bunch of different things at him. They're going to be aggressive because when they lay off, they're not as successful. So I think that you'll see a lot of different blitz packages. You'll probably see the bigger four-man line with uh, DeMarvin Leal out, out on defensive end to slow down the run. But if they can get a position where Tyree Johnson can come in the game, nobody's rushing the passer better than he is right now. What 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 you know? What does how does Agonasia feel about you know Jimbo Fisher? Obviously he got you know obviously you know winning against uh you know Alabama this year. Even if he got to do loss a big win last year, that signature win against Florida a year ago. What what is what has been like uh, the mood around you know uh you know kind of station when you talk when you bring up Jimbo? Are you asking if he's going to LSU? <laughs> listen, 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 listen. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a former Florida Gator. I, I am not a spy. Uh, secretly for them LSU Tigers. <laughs> well, no, I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, people are pretty darn pleased with him because, you know, I think a month ago it would have been different because people were frustrated. Understandably, the offense looked terrible. The defense wasn't playing as well as it should have. But they shifted things on the fly. He's adapted that offense. You know, this is a guy who's known to be stubborn and has an antiquated offense. Well, he changed it up some to work with Calzada, and it's, it's been effective. And you take a look at not only the fact that he's winning 80% of the SEC games at Kyle Field. He beat Alabama. He's beaten LSU. He beat Florida last year. They might get the number one recruiting class in the country in 2022. So, you know, I think that people are, are pretty pleased with the investment at this point. Uh, certainly, and again, as we said, still an outside shot to get to the SEC championship game. You're in just on the outside of the top ten of that college football playoff poll. Uh, let's let's get crazy here, Mark. If they win out and get help, is there an outside shot? If they were to go to the SEC championship game and win, they could get in the playoff with two losses. I don't think it would be an outside shot. I think if you beat Georgia and win the SEC, you're in. I mean, they would be riding, what, uh, an eight-game winning streak? would have beaten number one twice. Uh, you know, you win the, the toughest conference in, in college football, how do you keep them out? I don't think that there will be any justification to leave them out, even if they do have two losses. And even sticking with that, Texas A&M makes it to the SEC championship game, and I know it's always nobody's going to keep a one-loss Georgia team off. They're coming undefeated. If Texas A&M beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, could a potential number one Georgia be left out of the college football playoff? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, it's going to depend on a lot of other things and how other teams do. But I think it would be a travesty if Georgia was left out, even if they did lose to A&M. I mean, you could see them go right back at each other a, a week later at a neutral site because I'm not going to consider Atlanta to be a neutral site game if Georgia's involved. But, uh, you know, I, I think that the Dogs have proven that they're an outstanding team. Their defense is second to none. And I guess none would be A&M because they're probably the second-best defense in the country right now. Uh, you know, I, I just can't find a justification for a one-loss Georgia team not being in the college football playoff. Yeah, still a lot to play out here in the SEC with three weeks uh, to go. Mark Passwater is our guest here on 3 and Out from uh, AggieL.com. Mark, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. No problem. Anytime. Appreciate it. Mark Passwater is joining us here on uh, 3 and Out. Texas A&M and Ole Miss 11 
versus 12 uh, coming up this week in the SEC. We've got more to come here on this Thursday. It is three and out. Love to hear from you on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you along here, three and out on this Thursday. Ben Troop here alongside me, and we got some, some football tonight. You got North Carolina and Pitt over under 72 points. That's the most points of any game in week 11. So you got a little college football tonight. I think you got what? Is it Ravens, Dolphins tonight in the National Football League? So two really good quarterbacks, one really good team, and one that's, well, plays in Miami. So I mean, I mean, Kevin, I mean, North Carolina, I mean, think about this. Is Sam Howell looking over at Pitt? Kenny Pickett said, look, dude, you getting all my shine. No, bro, I'm actually winning games and, you know, throwing the ball to my teammates and not to the other team. And as far as, like, Miami and uh, Baltimore, for those of you who didn't know, <clears throat> the last time Lamar Jackson went up against Miami, I don't know, he had, like, 539 yards passing. And that's just through the air. That's not even counting him spinning, you know, giving putting, putting people in the spin cycle. So, yes, probably going to end up being two really, really good games, Kevin. But I just think that for me, you know, I do think Sam Howell and North Carolina are going to make it a game. But Pitt is going to bring a high-powered offense with a, with a, you know, with a complimentary defense. And if you just want to watch NFL football night because you got NFL ticket or something, yes, there is a team in Baltimore, in Baltimore Ravens purple that's going to beat the brakes off the team until <laughs> – uh, known as the Miami Dolphins. Say so you want to watch, so you can watch Lamar Jackson. That's why you want to watch the game tonight, right? It's, it's, you want to watch Lamar Le- do his thing. Yeah, Lamar, Lamar, Lamar continues to. This, this is the thing about it too, Kevin. We always say, what kind of quarterback do you want? Do you want a pocket passer? Do you want to do a threat? I want to. I want to do a threat quarterback because when you look at a guy like Lamar Jackson, I mean, it's it's not it's not always pretty when you're watching it. But if you need a third and six, he can pick it up with his legs. RPOs run. Run pass option. He got it. Mark Andrews, Hollywood, Brown. I mean, Bateman and those guys, they finding a way to get it done. Oh, and uh, Calais Campbell and that uh, Baltimore Ravens defense, they are about to run wild on that Miami Dolphins offense because, you know, what one team is coming in 6-2, and two, the Ravens. Other team, I think, is 2-7, and seven, the Dolphins. And they are what they record say they are. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> oh, they're the best 2-7. and seven. No. Best and 2-7 and seven don't even go in the I same sentence. I thought the sentence. Jags were the best 2-7. Uh, well, you know, Buff- you know, you know Buff- Buff- if you ask Buffalo about the Jags, they're saying, look, I mean, they real good. that Josh Allen, that kid is good. <laughs> Josh Allen, comment on Josh Allen saying, yeah, man, you know, Josh Allen saying, man, I had to game my life against Josh Allen. So if Buffalo played, you know, Jacksonville the rest of the year, you know, Jacksonville might go undefeated the rest of the year. But, no, I, I, I mean, as much as I think that Miami's going to go out there and lay an egg, they might make it a game because uh, – uh, Baltimore was in. They had to come back from behind last week against Minnesota, going to overtime to get that win. But two really, really good games. One in the ACC, and, a, and listen, two ACC teams that are playing in ACC. Yes, they are. Yeah, they, 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 it's not an out of conference uh, <laughs> game this week. And uh, obviously, you got two teams in the AFC tonight. We'll try to go out there and get it on. That is an important distinction, Ben, that you put that out there. It is an ACC conference game tonight. Sometimes they just <laughs> play for fun, right? It's like, oh yeah, sometimes like it's North Carolina. I mean, what do you mean? Wait for it. That's not a real game. What? Yeah. Like I mean, I, I, Kevin. You know, we think we know, but listen, we, we didn't go to ACC media days this year. We would have got a chance to talk to the ACC commission. We'd be like, it's, so two teams in the ACC can potentially be out of conference games? Absolutely. Like, yes. But they not. No, 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 no. They are, but they aren't. So I don't know. I mean, Kevin, I mean, it's almost like this. Kevin, what is the college football playoff committee? Uh, no, Mr. Hancock, what are you going to say when you see me go? So we're going to 12? Kevin, yes. I know the first question is, yes, we're going to 12. Okay. You should have listened to me from the jump. Yep. I mean, you could have paid me some money to go ahead and give you some advice. Them guys in the college football playoff committee, they don't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah. At least I can give you some good advice. No, I think they're, hey, I think they're going to uh, – that, that will be the first question. When I see Bill Hancock again, college football playoff committee, I'll be like, hey, <laughs> he go, he go see I know we missed you, missed you with the pandemic. 
It was however it turns out this year. We asked about that, but before we do that, how about those twelve teams? And when is that happening? When is that coming about? No, I look. I, and again, we got the new kind of updated format. I think that one's going to be one that's should be well received. And uh, again, people are like, I think someone told SI one of the uh, AD saying, "Look, it's either going to twelve or it's four. That's 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 what we're doing. And bigger is better. If yep. the money is bigger and better, it's going to twelve. Right? There, there's no there's no question." That's what's going to happen at some point. We got that news from you know late yesterday. Sports Illustrated reporting on that, saying, "Look, they got together, they're looking at twelve with automatic bids and uh, things of that nature." I think it's starting to come into form, and they kind of took a hiatus when everybody decided they want to change conferences all of a sudden. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's going to be coming down down the pipe in a future bid. And it, it, I, again, I'm excited about having a twelve team playoff. I think it can be it can be done. And, and people are saying it diminishes that no, I don't I, I still don't believe it diminishes anything in the regular season when more teams think they have a chance. It, just because you think a loss may not hurt you in the immediacy doesn't mean it didn't mean anything uh, at the end of the day. So uh, I, I I'm looking forward to that when it comes about, whenever it's gonna come about. Appreciate Mark Passwaters joining us here. Eric Kane, the final hour from the Sports Animal. Love that name. Sports Animal there in Knoxville. We will see you tomorrow. A Friday edition, which means picks sure to go wrong. And Ben's already making face. Uh, but we will get to that tomorrow and more. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. ESPNCoastal.com if you missed any portion of the show today.